episode 164 with my dear friend. Yes. Hotshot Scott. Yes. You look like you look like a fan of a two and five football team, Hotshot Scott. But we're not talking about them oh. during the uh, during the tease section of one sixty four. Welcome to Kraken Talk here on the uh, Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> why podcast. do we why do we whisper? I don't know. <laughs> Are you doing the Saturday Night Live skit? Like the NPR, yeah, yeah the NPR ladies. <laughs> Welcome to Kraken Talk here. Did you enjoy yourself some opening night of the Kraken at home? Was it exciting for you? I didn't see it. Yeah. I didn't go, and it wasn't on TV. It was oh. on ESPN Plus, right? I watched it on CBUT, CBUT. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, because I'm a hockey expert now. Yes, you so are. I yes, know exactly. Are. I would have thought you would have been there. I was going to ask you how was the atmosphere at the old climate. Pledge? You really thought I was going to go the to old, that? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't at all. So, because uh, I was going to ask you what you thought about the the big. Ex- I was excited. Like this is the first game ever. It's going to be Isn't exciting. That weird? Yeah, yeah. It was a thud. It was. Just because they lost? No, no, no. The opening ceremony or no the good. Open, they didn't do a good job. Brutal. They need to hire the people away from the Mariners to do their game presentation. Somebody. They're, they're get, find the old Sonics people. I heard nothing but rave reviews about the building and oh, how exciting it different. was. Sure, and yeah. Cracking. Oh, you bet. Yeah. No? Yeah, all oh, that's fine. I'm saying the introduction. Just the introduction of like the players? The, the big or fanfare. What? Here we are. It's just cracking. It was just kind of weak. I wanted to really? talk to you about it. I was curious what you thought. I didn't see it because I thought it was on ESPN Plus and I wasn't able to watch. Oh, CBUT. Where, where, where do we get CBUT? How do I find CBUT? Is it on the, the cable? Yeah, it's on the old cable there. On the What uh, channel number would it be? Oof. I'm I, not a CBUT fan, so I, I don't know. Well, you can talk into your remote now. I'm doing a freaking ad for Xfinity all of a sudden. <laughs> you, you just push that little button and say, CBUT HD. None of our remotes work that way. Oh, really? I don't think so. Yeah, I think they probably do. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to guess, I'm, I'm looking right now. I'm sure they do. Oh, but yeah. I never thought that there was an alternative way. There you go. Yep. Wow. C-butt. I was going to go and be one of those people that looked through the window. Apparently, you can look outside the arena oh. through the window and down, and you can actually see the game without having to pay to get in. Why would you ever buy a ticket? Let's go. <laughs> get, the, get the lawn chairs and put them in the station wagon. Let's head on down. <laughs> but I'm curious what other people thought about it. Maybe it's just me. but and, and again, they've only been in that building for like a week, I think. So maybe they'll have a bigger, a better play. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it just seemed weak. Maybe they'll have a bigger thing. Remember the Sonics had Squatch coming down from the yes, ceiling? And yes, of course I do. They, before, before he ignored it at us at Elise Coast? <laughs> That's right, before he gave us the hi-hat at Elise Coast, yes. And then they had that little video with the, the lightning would hit Key Arena, and it was oh. it was awesome. Yeah. This was just, I was waiting for, uh, what's his name, uh, Liam Neeson to come out and say, <laughs> release the Kraken, you know, spend oh. a couple bucks on him. And just, the best part was Ann Wilson, my yeah, girl, yeah. singing the national anthem. Yeah. That was How pretty was awesome. How was that? Did they show that on C-Butt? They did, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she was great. 71 up there. Belting so you're, out. you're pretty much taking a quick swipe at the Kraken organization yeah. for not doing a little bit more of a fanfare yeah. opening to the to the to the home season. But since they've only been in there a week, I'm no. wondering if they're going to do a better one. No, you don't think so? It's possible. They could have them, like- them only being in there a week doesn't stop them from hiring uh, Liam Neeson to come say That's true. I mean, to do all the things that they did. Why, what, what does it have to do with how many, how, how long they've been in there? Like, I thought there'd be like a cool montage of like, I want to. Was there not anything? Yeah, I guess they're kind of, I want to see like a big octopus like come lights, out or lights something. Lights go down. Yeah, lights went it down. Did. It just felt kind of, oh, didn't feel great. I'm sorry. I was hoping for more. I'm sorry. Do you ever see that, that clip when the Kraken went to Las Vegas? Do you ever see that clip of that enormous octopus that they 
They showed on the ice. I saw a little bit of the opening in Vegas on opening night. It was you're awesome. Talking about. And yeah, there's a yeah, night. The yeah. night is fighting the octopus. And yeah. Like you watch League of Legends. They have them in these big stadiums in like, you know, Taiwan or something. There's a big dragon, a CGI dragon that lands on the stadium and flies. I mean, these, I don't know. I was just kind of hoping for a little more, even though it was exciting and it was mm. cool. I was just hoping for a little more. Well, episode 164 is underway with a swipe of the Kraken. How about that? <laughs> it's just bitterness towards the Seahawks. I'm taking it out on the poor Kraken. Taking it out on anybody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Rate and review us on Apple if you have a chance. And by all means, always at least hit play on these shows. Announcements real quickly. Mitch Unfiltered, the YouTube channel. Oh, boy. Is here. It is. It is. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I've started a Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel if you want to see some. Because, you know, I've been posting some videos in the last couple of months yeah. of the shows. Not as much me and you because we don't have a camera over there. Yeah. But maybe if we... We do some shows from your home to my, I, I don't know. But a lot of the interviews, you know, little 30 seconds here, minute here, two minutes. I've been posting those on Twitter and people have been saying, yeah, more and more and more. Right. Except though you can't really post long ones on Twitter, really long ones. Oh. So I started a Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel. Wait, you actually went out and like created the name and did yeah. all that I on created, your own? Yeah, the Mitch Unfiltered was very hard. The Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure I grabbed Mitch Unfiltered for us at one point, so I'm surprised that you were able to get it. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> now I'm wondering what maybe, you got. Maybe there's no N in Unfiltered. Right. Maybe I forgot. Two no. L's. You did? I thought, but... I don't know. Maybe you can have the same name. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, that's great. I'm Maybe I didn't excited. do it right. But I, I, I started the Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel. Love I it. put I put a thing of me and Slick on there. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some stuff on it and I'm just gonna see how it goes. Okay. There's no promises that the Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel is gonna continue on more than like a month. I'm not promising anything. <laughs> you because, said that about this cockamamie podcast. Well, yes, that's your, that's exactly right. I'm not I'm not telling you it's not. I'm just saying, hey, let me see how many people actually use it and enjoy it. Okay. If it turns out only two people wanted to see video, and I'm putting this stuff together, and it's taken a long time right. to video edit and post and do all that. If I'm doing it for ten people, then I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna not do it anymore. Gotcha. I'll okay. just cancel it or just let it go. But I'm trying for now the Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel, and people can subscribe to that as well. I don't know Smash how that works. That subscribe button. I don't know how that works yeah. at all. Well, the, it, there's a like, there's like a little thumbs up and down yo, or something. Sure, you don't want I don't the know any. down. Oh, oh that hurts. Oh. <laughs> There'll be a video of somebody curing cancer and eight people will dislike it. It's like, <laughs> could be anything. <laughs> you know, God, it's people are such a-holes. Right. Well, well, yeah, subscribe to YouTube and that'll help have us you, as well. I'm not, can I subscribe to my own channel or I guess sure. I can't because I'm the creator of it? If you're not, yeah. Uh, if you're logged in, you probably can't. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to announce that. The Love Mitch it. Unfiltered YouTube channel a flurry of more video requests. Mitch Unfiltered patrons pay $5 a month. We do five extra shows per week. The Peace Show with Hotshot and Danny and me around the NFL with Randy Mueller, Peter King, Jason Lock, and Fora. Those come out on Thursdays. Seahawks, No Table, and Shooting the Shit with Slick and Mitch. Those two shows come out on Fridays. Saturdays, we have fantasy football advice from Kenny Z. And as always, as I like to say... If you're at a time in your life or a place in your life where paying $5 a month for content is not a good idea, no questions asked. Just shoot me a note, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I'll take care of you. Look, we work hard on this stuff. Yeah. The idea is to is to for the most people to see it. I want people to be able to see it. And if you're not watching it, I want people who want to see it to see it or right. hear it. There you go. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mr. YouTube already Mr. YouTube, over here. Yeah. He can't help Let himself. me start that again. I want people. <laughs> Fix it in post. I want people who want to hear it 
to be able to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's that's that's the end of the story. And if you want to hear it, but you can't hear it because you're not in a place to spend five dollars a month, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Just write me, no questions asked, and I'll take care of you. Okay. Very nice. And the other thing you can do at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com is write a comment or a question that we may or may not read on the show. Now, I only request that if you're going to write me at MitchUnfiltered.com, a comment about the show. Can we leave the X Factor interview alone? Oh, my god! Can we put that away? Did you listen to it? We haven't even discussed it, have we, you and I? I don't think we have. I think we missed it on the patron. That's by design. I'm tired (laughs) of talking about the X Factor interview from episode 163. I, I made it to... A Russell Wilson jersey being struck with arrows or something. And then that's, I think that's when I had to like move it along here. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I'm torn with him. He seemed like an enormous out of touch blowhard. And then I see him, a video clip of him on TV being interviewed and he's walking like with a limp. And, you know, I just kind of felt sorry for the guy after seeing him. So I'm kind of torn. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy the amount, you do great interviews with these Stop amazing it. fantastic Stop people it. and this is what gets everybody going <laughs> did you get a lot of a lot of feedback on that did i get a lot of feedback oh boy i'm tired of even discussing okay it. Fair i'd enough. like to go back into wherever you go in and just pull the damn thing out yeah i wish i had never known x factor never interviewed x factor <laughs> super fans i don't know what i was thinking when i said yes to steve dion i have no idea here's what i do know that after like Heisman Trophy winners, Hall of Famers, authors, <laughs> producers, actors, actresses, best-selling authors, I'm getting, oh, maybe I'll take a listen to your podcast. Right. I, after reading all this, maybe I need to try out your podcast. Right. After that. But did he say something about an apprentice? Was that the word he used? He had like an apprentice under him? That's the guy that he threw the, right. that he didn't throw the bottle of water who came up and socked him in the kisser. For no reason, yes. What, was that the word he used? Though it made me laugh. Yes. Whatever, apprentice. Yes. To learn from the best. Yes. Sitting there like he's an millions iron worker. Of people come to Kansas City <laughs> to see me. Right. I've made the organization millions and yeah. millions of dollars. He sure has. Where would they be without him? Can we stop talking about that interview, please? Yeah, I guess Let so. Let me forget that interview on episode one sixty three, please. You wish you could like dump the last week. Is that what you want to do? Just dump the entire week? I just want to dump that interview. <laughs> I just want to dump that interview. I was entertained, but then it just was like, yeah, after oh, a point, I was oh. like, okay. Any self-importance uh, there? A little bit, yes. He made the organization millions. I, of, and I, here I am not talking about it. Stop it. Let's just stop. Okay, it. fine. Stop it. But are going to be like a, No, no. All right. Stop it. <laughs> fine. Just stop it. Documentary or something he said? What do they have? TV uh, shows or he had to get... Did I tell you about the Mitch Unfiltered YouTube channel? <laughs> Let's go back to that, yes. Let me tell you who won't be appearing on the Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> YouTube channel. That would be X Factor. Oh, He's making a splash, though. I see him being interviewed by local... We're not talking oh, about Oh, yeah, that's it. right. I forgot. Dear Mitch, Uh-oh. I'm probably not your normal demographic being a 17-year-old girl, but I have loved sports, especially football, since I was a little kid. Last year, my dad shared your podcast with me, and I loved it so much, I listen to it regularly now. Oh, fart jokes at the end, and the 17-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mm-hmm. mind when you, when you get to the bottom of 164. Yeah. Given that I'm a senior in high school, I thought I'd give you some insight on the HOCO debate and origins. 
I have, I have an update as well. Go you ahead. Do? Yep. I don't quite know when it started, but I do know that for my freshman year, homecoming Insta post, my caption was Hoko 2K18. So it, it so it's been around for at least four years. Hmm. Also, I feel like I need to clarify that Hoko is solely used for the dance, and we would not call the football game the Hoko game. It's Hoko is for the dance, the homecoming oh, dance. Okay. Anyways, just wanted to clear the air about a very important and controversial topic. <laughs> yes, it is. Signed, Isabella. Thank you, Isabella. I'm glad she checked in. I, I found myself at the Issaquah High School homecoming game on Friday. You did. 30 years since I played on that field. 30 years. I know. I got I got either oh a text. Yeah, I got the text. Oh, that made me feel old. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm, I'm watching the fireworks at halftime, and there's a couple of high school girls standing there. It's me and a dad, and I, he was talking to her. He's a coach. I, whatever. And so I asked her, I go, wait a minute, because we talked about it. Do, yeah. they, do they call it, is it homecoming really called Hoko? And she confirmed that, of yes, course. it's called Hoko. Did you not believe me? I, I didn't. You thought it was like a Newport thing? I kind of did. No, it's yeah. everywhere. It's everywhere you turn. Yeah, she confirmed it too. So yeah. maybe it was Isabella. Who knows? Maybe she goes to Issaquah. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a thing now. Were there any Issaquah? What are they called? They're not the Indians anymore. The Issaquah what now? The very soft and lame Eagles. Were there any Issaquah Eagles playing on Monday Night Football? Because there was a Newport <gasps> Knight. Dr. Dre's wife? No. Oh. There was a Newport Knight playing a significant role in the St. Seahawks game. True story. Really? Yeah, I don't know if I can say the guy's name. Throckmorton, he came in, the guard who came in for the injured player oh, the guy early in the game. maybe? Yeah. yeah. The other guy came in, wow. Newport High School. Calvin, I think his first name is. Newport High School on display for the Saints on Monday Night Football. I don't think they that? had any athletes at Newport for the last 25 years. Well, That's impressive. You, you would have thought wrong. Yeah, I did. You would have thought wrong. You want an update on how Hoko went over here? I forgot. It happened. Oh. Was it a, was it was it worth all the time you spent? I still need to get some more sleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah what did we decide on? Uh, I have a lot of questions. Like how did, okay. how did we disperse yes. the money and who paid for what? Is it clear? Yes, it's clear. Okay. It's clear. You mean in terms of my son and his date? Correct. No, I, you and your date. Of course, I, yes. I, I believe that my son play, paid for the dinner, the lousy dinner at Maggiano's that they all complained about. Oh. Somewhere along the line, don't ask me where, Maggiano's became like the East Side Hoko dinner spot. Every, every school, every kid, they all want to wow. go to Maggiano's. Okay. Don't ask me why. Okay, I won't. Because I, I don't have any idea. But yes, he paid for that for okay. her, but he did not pay her share of the party bus that I was in. Okay. That you were in? I checked it out. I checked what it, Well, you need to know the story. So the story is, before we get to the, the official start of episode 164, we talk about that, whatever that was on Monday yeah, night. We don't have to, but go ahead. 16 kids. Okay. Do I call them kids at 15 or 16? What do you call them? Yeah. What are they? Teenagers. 16 teenagers. Yeah. Eight girls. Girls? Ladies? I don't know. I, if they're under 18, I say girl. Maybe I'm okay. old and out of date. I don't eight, know. eight women, eight men. Young women. Boys. Yes. Okay. I don't know what you call these people. I don't either. I don't even know who they were. They all came. They, they descended upon our house. Oh, that's right. For the pregame party. Woo. Outside. They were outside of the back. The parents came over taking pictures. Wow. It was a, it was a tremendously comfortable situation for them. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. 
Now, uh, did you, yes. Have you met any of these before, or is there, there some complete strangers? The or? kids or the adults? The adults. I knew like two adults. Oh, wow. That's yeah. not very many. Yeah. So some adults came taking pictures. They were all dressed. The women and the girls were dressed in the, in the, in the, oh, the sure, yeah. you know, to the nines. And the kids had, the boys had, uh, you know, suits on. And they were out in the back and taking pictures and partying a little bit. Yeah. And then they got into a party bus okay. that arrived at our house at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Okay. And 16 of them, and then some stragglers from the neighborhood just jumped on. I don't, don't, ask, don't ask me. Really? Anything. Yeah. I went out, and I saw the bus, and I stuck my head in the bus, and the first thing that I saw in this party bus was what? A pole. How did you know? <laughs> How'd I do? Pretty good guess. <laughs> I'm like, there's a pole in yeah. the bus. Yeah, there sure is. At which time, now follow me on this, okay. one of the girl's father's one of the girl's father who was here taking pictures and who had arranged the bus, apparently, okay. said to his daughter at some point, we can get a bus with a pole or without a pole. And she responded without missing a beat. We, Dad, we have to have the pole. <laughs> God, of course you do. I mean, why not? God. Oh, I'm not ready for this. You're the I'm father of a daughter. I, I am not. I'm not ready. I'm just giving you the facts. Okay. And so the party bus took off. Yeah. We thought it would be funny if all the parents took a snapshot, like a selfie, yeah. and we started photo bot. We just started sending it out to them. We're look, we're right. watching you. <laughs> every move. And I guess the bus went off to Maggiano's, and then they had dinner, and then they got back in the bus, and they went over to Seattle. They saw that the Kraken were playing. It was oh. a lousy open, apparently, yeah. to the Kraken game. Fud. And they they putzed around. They, they, uh, they did the thing in the party bus, and at 10 o'clock at night, the party bus returned. Where did it return for the oh. after party? That's right. Right here. Yeah, it, it, it definitely wasn't like 10 cars waiting for them to get into and go home, right? No. No, it wasn't the that. The after party yeah. started at 10 o'clock. Oh. Everybody changed. They got into their white t-shirts with writing on it, and they, they partied here. <laughs> you had to get out of your pajamas and put street clothes on well, again. I kept on hearing these words. Mitch, we have to be scarce. We have to. Oh, we, yeah. We, you don't want the, the mother and the father hanging around right no you don't the dog's going crazy we're trying to figure out where to put the dog <laughs> i should have taken misty for the week it was the <laughs> so what time did everyone check out like when i you... think everybody checked out at midnight oh that's... there was very limited damage not too much damage but the evening ended at about midnight when everybody kind of went their separate ways and i would i would deem it a success i don't know that if you interviewed the kids yeah sorry the boys the girls yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. they are I don't know that they would deem it a success because I don't uh, don't get me started on this. They're 15 and I think a couple of them are 16. At least my son. They want alcohol. They want parties with alcohol. Yeah. And, and we're just I don't get it. I, maybe I shouldn't even open this can of worms. I don't get the the mother and the father who of a 15 year old who makes it accommodating for alcohol but apparently there were some parties out there yeah. at parents house where there was alcohol they didn't really think they were going to go to someone's house with the parents home yes and there was going to be booze there yeah so they did yeah. really yeah that that seems unreasonable <laughs> i would never like assume yeah. that i'd go to someone's house and there would be i'm just not doing it i keep I, telling brett i'm not doing it i'm not doing it either like, i'm not i'm, I'm not doing it for so many and if you want me to list the reasons yeah. we could be here until tomorrow right because there's a lot of reasons why i'm not doing it First and foremost, I would like to not be taken away by the police. It's a good one. Okay. Yep. And so 
God forbid someone drives home and they had a, I mean, who needs any of that, right? An accident happens. Somebody yeah. who doesn't drive wanders across the street drunk. It's hit by a car. I'm, no, no, no. I'm, no. Not. Yep. I'm not. And I don't, maybe somebody can email me or text me or tweet me and tell me, here's the reason why some parents decide to do it. But there were parties out there. There were post-game hoco parties hmm. out there with alcohol. No. Just was, this, this wasn't one of them. I'm are they all? Are they all freshmen or some? So- no, they're all sophomores. They're all soft. Okay, all sophomores. What, maybe for like a senior year, I could. I I wouldn't do it, but I could see where that might happen. Yes, but yes, sophomore year, so they're nah, fifteen years old. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of unreasonable. And I'm, I don't think I'm an uptight person, but I'm just I'm not doing it. I'm just I'm not providing alcohol for fifteen year old. I've been asked. You ever been asked at a store to go buy alcohol for? For teenagers? Probably somewhere along the line, yeah. yeah. I just, I feel like a jerk, but I just, I say no, I can't do it. So the Levies are the, are the nerdy parents, I guess. What are you We're not going to be the cool, we're not the cool parents. Yeah. I'm not doing it either. We gave them the house minus alcohol. Yeah. That's the way it's got to be. That's the way it's going to be if it's in your house. Yes, it is. It's our house and we make the decision and I'm not going there. I don't even know that I'm going there as a senior, like you point out. I don't know. Yeah. I don't don't know that I am either. I don't think I'm doing that. I could just say that I could see a senior having an expectation more than a sophomore. Like, this is it. My last one. Who wants... Who wants the risks involved? I know. Does anybody want the risks? Apparently, some people do. They don't care. I didn't bring this story in, but a woman was just arrested for being the party mom. I, I, I didn't bring it in, but she was I just do it. arrested. They found her Snapchat and the 16-year-olds. and Hotshot. Oh. I'm not even allowed to have alcohol here. <laughs> That's right. I know. Tell the kids, wait till you're married. That's when you freaking need it. Don't do it now. Save that shit for marriage. That's when you're going to want it. Uh, anyway, that's the story of Hoko. Nice. Well, I mean, at least it sounds like a success. I mean, you're you're kind of worried about the whole no alcohol thing, but I wouldn't have expected that. Believe as a me, we do not have a good reputation as parents for not supplying the alcohol. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, uh, no. We're supplying. The, well, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what you want. <sighs> looking the other way. We're not looking the other way. Yeah. We're not doing it here. Yeah. How did the kids get home? Their parents come pick them up at midnight yeah, or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some parents picked up two or three and whatever. They okay. Dispersed. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And 16 he- sober kids went home at, at midnight. <laughs> as far as you know, at least. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what Maggiano's was doing, but. <laughs> right. All right. Guess on this episode 164, we should begin here in a moment. Uh, Henderson and Fan with the note table. Uh, John Lucas. You don't know John. You know a John Lucas isn't the John Lucas. John Lucas is the author of a new book called Haven't They Suffered Enough? The Memoirs, The Life and Times of My Old Friend Bino Cook. I saw your tweet. Now, I'm going to tell you that I interviewed this guy. I wanted to have him on to talk about Bino, to help him with his book, to talk about the old stories. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was going to get emotional. Yeah. Because that's a very emotional subject that ties a lot of things together in my life. And I tried not to. But if you don't want an interview where I become emotional, do not listen to go back and listen to X Factor. Okay, I did not become emotional in X Factor. Are you emotional in a different way with him? In a much different way. I, I'm. I'm. It's fair warning. If you listen to John Lucas and you get to the end, okay, you might need a Kleenex. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Rick Neuheisel will also be on CBS College Football Analyst. Ladies and gentlemen, he finally hit one. Yeah. He texted me after Pitt beat Clemson. The advice that he gave me that I bet free at last, free at last, <laughs> free at last. Good for you. Okay. Your buddy Dion didn't win his bet though, right? Did he didn't, didn't Steve send out a ticket? He went the other way. Oh, he, that's right. He, he did, went yeah. against Neuheisel. I went with New Orleans. See, th- this is what you and I talked about. Yeah. As soon as you, yeah. As soon as you go, well, that guy can't hit anything. I'm going to go. That's correct. 
That's correct. And I, I think I texted him. And I, oh, did, you did? I, I didn't no, hear you, back. Don't think you did. I didn't. We didn't hear back, did we? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. All right. So we are about to begin. Let me just tell you that before we begin, week eight of Beat the Boys is coming up. How'd you do? Saints saved me. One and two. I went two and one. Okay. I'm now eight and one in my last nine. Week eight is coming up. Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Start your fireplace search at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Here are your three games in week eight. Niners, Bears, Titans, Colts, big one. Cowboys Vikings those are your three games and your code word to get in to be able to make your picks Hoko gotcha H-O-C-O you sure you don't want to do Gino again no I don't want to do Gino (laughs) I don't want to do X Factor (laughs) Myers (laughs) it's a whole list (laughs) I want to do Hoko gotcha H-O-C-O all under non-capitalized what is it what's the word for that all uh um, lowercase lowercase that's yeah, what yeah, i'm yeah. looking for mm-hmm. yeah all right quick quick psa about run my pools for yes, people yes yes you know your buddy bill sanders who runs it yes said that somebody put their debit card in uh through a google ad which is not anything to do with run my pools <laughs> oh no so please do not do anything with your debit card when it no. comes to run my pools no it's a free site yes don't get tricked don't just put your if you find yourself pulling your debit card away punch yourself in the face and put it back no no just call me and i'll take the numbers that's right exactly mitch unfiltered (laughs) all right episode 164 begins right now unfiltered i admire these people for sacrificing a lot you know it's easy to get on a show or get in a bar with your buddies and say outlandish things that you think this or you would do this but then when push comes to shove most of us don't follow through with that these people are like walking away from careers and what have you for over a vaccination unfiltered how long has it been since shannon sharp actually played i'm trying to give DK Metcalf the benefit of the doubt like maybe he was too young to remember Shannon Sharp the player but the problem is I didn't have to be alive when guys played before I was alive for me to know who they were Mitch is unfiltered all right episode 164 hotshot Scott is underway Mitch Unfiltered. I've been looking forward to this the whole the whole time, the whole drive over to your house, starting this segment about the what two and five Seahawks. Is well, that I correct? thought we'd start with the stump the band question. Oh, I like that. Okay, anything to not talk about the yeah, two yeah. and five Seahawks. Yes, or the opening of the Seattle Kraken <laughs> at home. <laughs> yes. Would you like a stump the band question? Sure. NBA trivia. Oh boy. John. Name the members of the NBA's twenty thousand point ten thousand assist club. Can you name the members of the 20,000 point 10,000 assist club? Am I allowed to know? An, how illustrious, an illustrious group. How many are there? I'm not telling you that. Is that part of the interesting part of the That seems like a lot. 20,000 20, points and 10,000 assists. Magic. Magic Johnson had ten, over 10,000 assists, but only 17,000 points. Whew. So Magic is not in the 20,000, 10,000. Stockton. Great guess. John Stockton. 19,711 <laughs> points and over 15,000 assists. Not quite in the uh, in the club. How about Westbrook? Russell Westbrook? Yeah. No. no, not close. Steph Curry. 
No, not close. Is it somebody new that I, I may not be that aware of, or is it like 90? Well, let me or? tell you this. There are only six men who have over 10,000 assists. Oh, okay. So you have to have over 10,000 assists to be in the club. <sighs> let me tell you the 10 men or the six men that have 10,000 assists. Isaiah Thomas. Nope, doesn't have 10,000 assists. Wow. John Stockton does, 15,000 leader. Jason Kidd does, okay. 12,000, but only 17,000 points. Steve Nash does, mm. 10,000 assists, 17,000 points. You would not think of this guy. Mark Jackson does. Oh, I liked him. 10,000 points, 12, sorry, 10,000 assists, 12,000 points. Okay. Magic Johnson does, mm -hmm. 10,000 assists, but only 17,000 points. There's a guy by the name of LeBron who's got 9,700 assists, so he needs 300 assists, and he's got 35,000 points. <laughs> right. So I think he's going to join the club. Yeah. There's a guy named Gary Payton oh. who's got 21,000 points, but only 9,000 assists. Oh, he's close. See, I thought it would have gone the other way. I thought he'd be over the 10,000. So 10, the answer to the question is there is one one person, and he joined just the other day. There had never been an NBA player wow. in the club until just the other day, a guy by the name of Chris Paul. Oh, yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? He's the only man in NBA history wow. with more than 20,000 points and 10,000 assists. That's my stump the band question to avoid the Seahawks chatter. 20,000 points sounded really high to me, plus 10,000 assists. I was trying to find that combo. I just... yeah. Well, you can't find it you because can't, apparently, because <laughs> if you don't know Chris Paul, you don't know anybody. Although LeBron is about to blow yeah. twenty and ten away. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Wow, Chris Paul, he's playing again this year. I mean, you said he just just played. yeah he plays for the Phoenix Suns. He keeps making like thirty God. thirty million a year every year. Yeah. He's like eighty four years old. He right. just keeps banking thirty million every year. Yeah, he plays for the Suns. Very good. Still very good. Yep. Weren't they in the yep. finals last year? They were in the finals last year. Yeah, I was kind of lost for the Bucks. To, yeah, to get that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's he's still making that money on that uh, the insurance commercials. Too. Oh, sure just, is. Got a couple bucks. Didn't he get hurt for a while? It was kind of always out, gets oh, hurt. Always gets hurt. But it was like he was done. It felt like like okay. No, I don't know that he was ever done. Okay, done, done. I thought he's like gone for a year, but then he came back. No. I remember he Clippers. Yeah, sure. With, uh, with Blake, Blake Griffin. Griffin. Sure. The second Lob City. Sure. Behind Peyton and Camp, yeah. of course. When when Steve Ballmer bought the team, that was the big that was the duo. Yeah, that, that was the duo that was going to bring him an NBA championship, right. which never brought him an NBA championship. Nope. OK, we can we can we can do it now. <laughs> we have to talk about it now. <laughs> 13 to 10. <laughs> Welcome to two and five town. You saw that stat at the end of the game that they haven't they haven't been 0 and three at home since 92. I did not see that. No, 92. That, that was like the Rick Meyer God. shit time. Chris Warren, maybe. No, probably oh. before Chris. I don't know. That was, you know, Cortez was on yeah. those awful teams. That That's where they are now. Well, we have the Seahawks no table, so we don't have to do too, too much of it. I don't, I, I don't want to exclude your thoughts. Yeah. I don't know what you were feeling. I'm assuming you got home from work and you watched it and... Yeah. You uh, watched it from beginning to end. Did you think that they were going to pull? It, it felt like almost like the Steelers game. It felt like they were going to win the game for the longest time. Yeah, one fifty-seven to go, down by three at home, and we got Russ. Ah, oh, crap! That's what I first thought. I was like, hey, I've seen this before. Ah, oh, shit, it's Gino. I mean, I don't. I, I don't know if I can say I thought they were going to win it. I don't think that'd be honest. It's Gino Smith. It is Gino Smith, and the Saints do have a good defense. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, it's not just Geno Smith. And here's, here's my, 
You want to know what my lingering issue and the issue that I'm taking with me the rest of the week on the loss was? They were obviously anemic offensively, right? They had one play. Right. One play that I thought maybe the the wide receiver pushed the guy down. Yeah. Maybe offensive pass interference. I have a list wasn't of called. crappy calls that game, and that's definitely on there. That's on the list. Yeah. Uh, so there was one play for 84 yards. Outside of that, their pass game, and I know it's Geno Smith. You're going to say you're going to keep telling me it's Geno Smith. He passed for 167 yards, which means he passed for 84 yards on one play yep. and 83 yards the rest of the night. 83 yards. Now, I want to give the Saints credit. I want to give Geno Smith, I want to say, hey, what do you expect from Geno Smith like everybody else? Yeah. I have a hard time going there because in the bottom of my heart, here's what I know. Here's a fa- here, here are facts for you. Okay. They've got DK Metcalf in the passing game. He's really good. He is. They've got Tyler Lockett in the pass game. He's good. They've got Gerald Everett in the pass game. He's good. They've got Will Disley, supposedly, in the pass game. He's good. Those are facts. They have a new offensive coordinator who's supposed to be young and innovative and be able to get guys open and scheme. Yeah, Yeah, I understand. We've got Geno Smith. Here's what I also know. A guy named Sam Darnold who got pulled in the Carolina game against the Giants that lost 25-3 to and has been shit for the last three weeks and is now about to lose his job. Sam Darnold, 26 of 38 for 305 yards and two touchdowns against? I'm guessing the Saints. The Saints. Yeah. Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. Don't know if I would even recognize who him. Who can't win a game if you and I played against him. <laughs> Went 28 of 40 for 402 yards and two touchdowns against the New Orleans Saints. Tyler Heineke. Ever heard of him? Or Taylor Heineke of the Washington football team? 248 yards. There are quarterbacks. A handful of quarterbacks. There are no-name quarterbacks that have thrown for a lot of yards against this New Orleans Saints team. I know they're great against the run, and I know you but none of these teams could run against them. None of them. Yeah. And they all found a way to throw for 305 yards, 402 yards, 250 yards with, with crap sandwich quarterbacks. Yeah. So I say to you, why can't somebody get DK Metcalf open against that Saints defense. Why can't we get Tyler Law? Why can't we scheme? Who is this guy that they brought in from the Rams? Where's the offensive innovation that we're supposed to see? There's got to be a way where even Geno Smith can do more in the pass game against this defense than 83 yards outside of one play. 83 yards. Look no further than their opponent. What worked for them? What, What worked for the Saints on offense all night long? They threw the ball to the running back out of the backfield. How many times did the Seahawks do that? I don't have it in front of me. I was calling for like it all night. I was call- they, did it, they did it a couple times. One that uh, Alex Collins Great. kind of bobbled up in the air. In the and rain. Came, and yep, came and down with it. Came down with it for a first down. Yep. Yeah, they didn't. I mean, if, if, if you receive. What are they doing? What is this coaching staff doing? It's <laughs> a great look, question. I, look, I don't think Geno Smith is good. Please don't yeah. misunderstand me. In fact, I think he's shit. If you really want to know, I think they probably have a better quarterback on the team right now that's available to play. I think either one of the Jakes might be better than than Geno Smith. Jacob Eason, probably better than than Geno Smith. Jake, whatever, Luton, Luton, probably better than Geno Smith. I don't think Geno Smith is any good. Yeah. Okay. But come on. Right. Get somebody. You've got receiver. Get somebody. Oh, do something. Where's the coaching staff? Now you're going to tell me it was rainy and windy and tough and okay. 
if you want to, you could throw excuse after excuse at me. And I guess at some point I'll just wave the white flag. I just think they should have been able to do more even with Geno Smith against this uh, like the same pass defense that gave up huge numbers to these terrible quarterbacks, yeah. they should have been able to do more at home on a Monday night. That's what I'm saying. As far as the weather goes, did you see a lot of balls bouncing off receivers? No, not really. I didn't either. Not really. Okay, so we can maybe throw that out the window? I don't I don't think so. Th- yeah. Those those receivers know how to catch Get the rain. They use their open. body. Yeah, I, and by the way, are they ever going to learn how to throw a screen pass? Well, that's what I'm saying. How many years? Camara. How, how many years? Well, those are, yeah, there's some screen passes. Some just of those are just throw straight your dump running up. back, though. Yeah, but how many years are we going to watch the Seahawks and ask the same question? It, it can't be that hard to run a screen pass. Yeah. They throw a screen pass, and it looks like the world's worst executed, like they've never practiced <laughs> yeah. a yeah. screen pass in their life. And, of course, they can't defend a screen pass. So they can't defend one, and they can't throw one themselves. So it's a <laughs> screen pass is just out. And then at the end of the day, you might say, but they still had a chance to win. They did. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, in the last five minutes of the football game when the game on the line they made a series of errors yep i tweeted it out they made a series of errors and they didn't deserve to win and i start with they have the ball in position to kick the go-ahead field goal a relatively shortish field goal for jason myers who knows whether he would have made it i think they may have been inside the 25 yard line it's third down yeah the one thing you can't do is take a sack one thing and they blitz up the middle, and Geno doesn't get rid of it. They throw him back to the 35-yard line. That's the first thing. Then the kicker, who had already missed earlier in the evening, comes in and misses another field goal. That's the second thing. Yep. Then you give the ball to the other team in great field position at the 44-yard line because you miss a 54-yarder. So now you give it to him at the 44-yard line, and your defense comes through with a three and out but roughs the passer on the play that you're going to get off. The, you're about to get the ball back. You've stopped them. That's right. And they come back and they rough the passer and they get 15 yards. That's mistake number three. Then later in that drive, when they still haven't gotten to field goal range, it's third and 10 and they run a draw play to Alvin Kamara. You can't stop a draw play on third and 10 from getting any less than 12 yards. Guy goes for 12 yards on third and 10 against that defense. That's the fourth mistake. And then if all of that wasn't enough, they're lined up to kick a semi-difficult field goal and your guy jumps off sides and gives him a first down. I think it was a 41-yarder maybe for a rookie kicker. In the rain, in the wind, whatever. That's right, right. yeah. So you make five mistakes in the last four minutes. Any one of them had you not made, you might have won the football game. You didn't deserve to win. You didn't deserve to win. When you play a team that's better than you on paper, and right now the Saints are because you don't have Russell, you know you have to play perfect, right? Perfect? I don't know that they needed to play perfect tonight. You can't make those mistakes. Maybe not perfect, but you you, you just cannot. You can't beat yourself because you're already not as good as the other team. Correct. That's correct. And that's what they were doing. They were beating themselves. Look, the defense gave up 13 points. You can't win with 13 points? That was a pretty good effort. The defense, which has been horrendous all season, came through. They did. They stopped. They they stonewalled the running game. Camara yep. averages two yards a carry, yep. like two and something that you carry. They go for thirty-one carries, ninety-four yards, so under th- three yards a carry. Essentially, you do a good job in the pass defense for the first time in forever. So the defense, yes, they played plenty well and held them to thirteen. But the offense and the mistakes, the mistakes, the yeah. mistakes Killer. down the stretch, just killers. Anyway. Yep. Anyway, it's been a good year for the refs. I've thought I haven't really come in and bitched a lot about the referees. Yeah, 
Did you think they got their money's worth tonight, the refs, as far as making bad calls? There seemed to be a lot of calls. Well, at one point I tweeted out that Shane Waldron, the new offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, his best offensive play that he kept dialing up, the best one that worked the best all night, was the 15-yard penalty, the personal fouls on the Saints. (laughs) Those were great plays that got him out of the hole a couple of times. Must have been been five or six of them. (laughs) 15, 30 yards. It was beautiful. Oh, God. Gerald Everett flipping the ball. You know you can't do that. Do I like that? Killer. I I hate that that's a penalty. Killer. It's a drive killer. Killer. Well... Yeah, they were at the 45-yard line getting ready to go down for maybe points, and that 15 yards cost them. How about the play? How about the call that the the, uh, the officials didn't make, the false start on the fourth down oh, brutal. when the Saints hadn't scored yet, yep. and they're going on that long drive, yep. and it's it's fourth down in a yard, and the whole like left side of the offensive line moves early, and they don't call it. Yep. I sure don't. Is there some sort of a new rule that I don't know that if if more than like five people <laughs> false start, it's actually cancels That's, each other out? It does. I, I forgot to tell you about that new rule. Yes. What the hell. I mean, there's a guy in Arkansas sitting on his couch scratching his inner thigh. He make he knows the right call, and the, the, the referees and people in New York and the booth and the 2021 tech. We can't get that right. You know, I'm joking about oh. it. I'm joking about what I just said. Yeah. But I think that's what happened. By the way, I think because it was such a it was. You don't Not usually one get guy. more than one. I, I think yeah. when one guy does it, it stands out. I think there were like four guys that moved early, and they all moved in concert early. Yeah. So it kind of it was kind of staggered in a yeah, weird way. It, it, yeah. it, it kind of camouflaged the call, That's but it was a it was a hor- it was a horrendous miss, a hor- horrendous miss. Again, I've said it. I, every podcast we do, why can't somebody in the booth go, "Whoa, whoa, guys, blow the whistle, stop." You oh, guys, you no, guys you missed yeah. it. No, you, can't you just do that. missed it. You can't do that. You can't. But why not? Doesn't everyone want to get it because right? Each game will be seven and a half hours oh. if you allow them to do everything. I mean, come on. How, how many would those have been? Two? I mean, that was seven a key, and a half that was a key hours. moment. A huge, huge moment. And you knew it would be, right? You just knew a huge moment. That's the way sports goes. It's good. That's yeah. going to come back to bite them. It's, yeah. And even even the roughing that was called on the Saints, where he kind of fell backwards over. Yeah, that wasn't bullshit. a good call. Yeah, it wasn't a good call. It's not a good call. We're talking about, I think we're, we're talking about. With a guy, yeah. He was sacking Gino, but he yeah. just sort of stumbled over yeah, him, yeah, and they caught. Yeah, no good. I mean, come on. No good. Even the, the pass yeah. interference on uh, DJ Reed early, I thought was a little bit questionable. A little shaky. questionable. Yeah. It just feels like there there's just there's just too many. I mean, the the offense. I mean, DK throws his guy to the ground and gets away with it on on the touchdown. He drug him down. But come at on. the end of the day, did did all of them or most of them go against the Seahawks or for the Seahawks? What's your conclusion? It felt were, pretty even. Th- but there were some bi- – the big one uh, – to me, the big the one ones, yeah. was the false start that they missed. Huge. That was that was huge. Yeah. And it, D- it, DK and Latimer, they're like – they're you know, grab-assing and grabbing each other's face masks yeah. multiple times. No yeah. one gets called. Yeah. Latimer got called for pushing him, but yeah. you can't grab people's face masks. Why are we not calling any of it? I don't know. It's like, what, what's happening? I don't, what's, I don't know. Has the game just passed the refs by – I don't understand why they can't. Well, it's passed a few game. guys by that were Ugh. that were present at the stadium on Monday night. Yeah, that's yeah. It's passed a few guys by. I think you might. Be I don't right. know. I don't know if the officials are are the ones that it passed by, but it certainly passed some people by. I didn't. Anyway. I didn't. I didn't want to get you know get into that, but I, I you know I've kind of held off on that because wait, of my wait love. Till, but. Wait till one sixty four p. Yeah, I think you might be right. Anyway, uh, yeah, thirteen to ten, two and five. It's the way it goes. Your buddy Jordan Brooks, though. I'm liking him. Well, he's had a tough start to the season. 
but he had a pretty decent night on Monday. He uh, got a hand on that on that ball. Did you see? Deflected it. You yeah. see, did you see whose ass he saved by getting well, his hand on that I, ball? Well, I mean, I, I tweeted it out, a picture oh, of did. Jamal Adams late to the party. But we don't know. We don't know the scheme there for sure, for sure, for sure. But yes, it looked like he bailed Jamal Adams out. <laughs> Though, you got to say that Jamal Adams had his best, Jamal Adams had his best night, his best game of the season. No, oh, he, no, he, played, he, he, played he well. actually yeah, made, yeah. you've been asking, when is he going to make some plays that we're going to remember? He made some plays. Yeah. He covered the one guy, then reverted over to the other guy and, and helped to block, you know, knock the pass down. He, he deflected a ball on a blitz. He, he made some plays. He did. He, Jamal Adams made some plays. Yep. Anyway. And something happened that you said would not happen. What did I say would not happen? Tyler Lockett got face-to-face with somebody early in the first quarter. and was. Remember, we said Tyler Lockett's like the nicest guy. He is the nicest The guy. last guy to ever. He, he didn't get a penalty, but him and number 22 for the Saints. I can't really? remember his name. Did not know uh, that. Uh, something Gardner Johnson. They were face-to-face. Really? It was kind of cool. I was like, Tyler you're sure Lockett. You are sure they weren't saying a prayer or doing something? They might have been doing that. I'll go back and look. But no, number 22 looked pissed off at him for some reason. Nobody so. gets pissed at Tyler Lockett. I, I know it it's happened. Tyler Lockett. He's Tyler Lockett. How do you not like Tyler Lockett? <laughs> all right. The uh, the Seahawks no table with Fan and Henderson will break it all down for you. If you like uh, emotional Mitch, you'll hear emotional Mitch on the John Lucas interview. He's the, uh, the, the writer, the guy who helped collaborate with Bino Cook before he died on his memoirs. And Rick Neuheisel celebrates finally giving me some <laughs> some sound advice. And uh, also talks a lot about college football. Then you and I will do the other stuff segment. I'm ready. Hey, let's catch up with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Dan, what's this I'm hearing about? Boys trips to Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, the big house at uh, Ann Arbor. What happened? Yep, I'm doing my homework for you this fall, Mitch. I did a bunch of sports stuff. I went to yeah, I went to Wrigley, saw the Cardinals play the Cubs, saw Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Soldier Field in Chicago. That was cool, but the big house was a treat too. Went and saw the Huskies play. News for you: Huskies aren't very good. Uh, that's what your listeners are here for—is a bunch of Captain Obvious sports analysis from the pizza guy. Yeah. What was the best fan experience of the three? The big house was really cool. I had been to Wrigley Field and Soldier Field before, and so the big house was new, and it, it lived up to the billing for sure. Fall means football season. Tell me about the Black family go-to order. Does it change in the fall? Yeah, you know, we we get a lot of pizza delivered this time of year for football games like most people, and we, we do the Zeke's football pies. We do Legion of Shroom and Beast Mode. They're both really good. Nice. And how about a beer? that you've been downing recently. Yeah, you know, it's fresh hop season, and we've talked about those before. So they're harvesting hops down in Yakima this time of year. And so a lot of the brewers do fresh hop, particularly IPAs. And we got fresh hop versions of two of the famous Zeke's beers going right now. So I've been ordering Zeke and Destroy and Lateral A. Both are really good. Nice. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. The Levy family's been using the heck out of the Zeke's Pizza app lately. And get some fresh pizza, some great beers, some salads delivered right to your door. Zeke's Pizza continues to be a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Set up for the play action. Gino takes a shot down the sideline. DK Metcalf is in the game, and he's down the sideline. 84 yards. Winston Trouble the snap. Now picks it up and throws for Kamara. It's really difficult because we're so close to, to winning games and, and uh, we haven't been able to do it at home for sure, which uh, is a real shock to me. It's just, I'm shocked that we're not able to do that. And, and uh, 
but we we're still trying to get these games finished properly and um, you know that means you don't make the mistakes that give them a chance you know you kick the ball you don't make the penalty and uh, you know you don't you know you don't eat the football for losses when you know when you're in the right position Seahawks no table time Joe fan Brady Henderson taco time nw.com slash careers looking for good people who enjoy working great perks and all it takes is a 15-minute Zoom interview. It is Seahawks No Table on episode 164 after a Seahawks loss to the Saints on Monday Night Football. All right, Brady Henderson, you go first this time. Why did the Seahawks lose 13-10 to the New Orleans Saints? You really set me up for this one because, as you know, a team never loses a game for one reason, and I will always say that. that that's true in this one, too. I mean, a big reason why they lost this game was because they made a couple of boneheaded penalties late in the game, uh, you know, with a chance to get the ball back on what turned out to be New Orleans' game-winning field goal drive. They get the sack, uh, what should have been a sack. Marquise Blair, I think, hits Jameis Winston in the helmet for a roughing penalty that gives them 15 free yards. And then Al Woods just inexplicably jumps offsides on the field goal try, which would have been a long field goal try on a wet and rainy night. Um, I think it would have been from 41 yards, 42 yards, which is hardly a gimme. I mean, it's not a gimme even under ideal conditions, let alone wet and rainy conditions like what the Seahawks and Saints were playing in in this game. So there's a lot of reasons. Geno Smith came up short at the end, took some bad sacks. They really didn't have much offense aside from that 84-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf early. thought their defense played better. Just a couple of boneheaded plays there at the end that really, really hurt them. And just it goes without saying that, that that's the type of mistakes that you really can't make when you're playing with a backup quarterback and your margin for error is reduced from what it already is. So those two plays are really going to sting and this loss is really going to sting. Joey, uh, Joey Vegas, Joey No Table is going to have to fight his way through this one because he's disappointed. You can see it written all over his face. He's disappointed when he found out that he has to share the skin on the closest to the pin. He thought he had won it. He got to the green. We measured, and it turns out it's a flat-footed tie. And Joey's a little disappointed, a little dejected about that. Joey, carry fight over. Through, f- f- no, no carryover. Fight through it and tell us why the Seahawks lost on Monday night. Yeah, apart from me being an idiot and not taking the pick that I envisioned in my head Stop. taking – Brady covered it all. The defense deserves credit. They only gave up 13 points in this game. They held the Saints to two field goals in the red zone uh, when they were inside the 10-yard line. That's that's clutch. They had to have it. Geno Smith, the, the back-breaking sacks on the last couple of drives, uh, one to, to make it a 52-yard field goal for Jason Myers that he missed, um, and then another two more on the final drive when they were trying to go kick a game-tying field goal. Joey, let me stop you. Let me me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for a second because I want to ask you about the sack that you just mentioned. It was a killer. It was a backbreaker. It was going to be a shortish field goal. It turned out to be a long one. When you watch that play over and over again, like I did and I have, do you blame Geno for not getting rid of the ball, or was it a jailbreak and he had no chance to get rid of that football? It was. It was a zero blitz, and so that's tough. Kyle Ford didn't do him any favors on the play. He got absolutely smoked off the snap. But you have to know in that situation, no matter what happens, you know where your routes are. You just chuck it out of bounds, knowing where your guys are, where it's not going to be grounding. You have to have some awareness, and you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And if that was the only one 
then you say, okay, it's a brutal position, and it is a spot where you, you cannot take a sack. But we saw the same thing last week against Pittsburgh, and then a couple of terrible sacks in the final drive of regulation uh, this week when they're trying to go tie the game. It's just a it's lack of awareness. I think it's a lack of confidence. I think a little bit of seeing ghosts to a degree of um, not trusting what he's seeing downfield or at least giving his guys a shot by, by throwing it downfield. It was pretty egregious. Geno Smith, 84 yards on the, uh, the touchdown of DK Metcalf, 83 yards on his Correct. other 21 attempts combined. Correct. We'll get back to that. It, uh, Brady, I know you have a thought on the, on the, on the sack. Well, yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting decision that they made to kick the field goal there into the open end of the stadium. You know, it was, I think, fourth in like 22 or something. So going for it was out of the question. But I, I, I wonder, and I asked Pete Carroll this afterwards, about how much consideration was there to punting in that situation. He said there was some, but they didn't feel like the conditions were as big of a factor as they were, I wonder if I wonder if they were. I mean, again, he's kicking into the open end of the stadium. That's a long field goal. Harder, I think, on a wet and windy night. But you know, as Carroll said, Jason Myers had plenty of leg. I just wonder. I, I wonder if maybe they would have been better off uh, punting there. I, I don't feel so strongly about that that I'm saying that Pete Carroll made a, a bad decision there. I, I could totally see both sides of it because their offense has been struggling to the point where. Man, there's no guarantee that they get a better scoring chance for three points than that, even from 53 yards out. So it's one of those decisions where, you know, sometimes we come on here and we say, this was so obvious. They should have done this. They should have done that. I don't think this was. I, I, I see both sides of that coin. But uh, to his defense, and I hate to defend Pete Carroll, as you know, but I'll defend him here. His defense then came out and had to stop. They made the stop if it weren't for the 15-yard penalty. And then, of course, what Joe didn't mention the third and 10 draw play, which was a killer. They got him at third and 10, and they hand the ball off to Kamara. They've been just stuffing the run all night, and he goes for 12 yards on third and 10 to pick up the first down and keep the drive alive. I, I want to go back to the anemic offense, because I mentioned this with Scott in the opening segment of uh, episode this episode 164. Joe, you mentioned it, 84 yards to DK on one play, 83 yards the rest of the night through the air the Saints have a good defense but they're not great against the pass and I know Geno's a backup quarterback but you've got DK Metcalf and you've got Tyler Lockett and you've got Gerald Everett you've got some pieces and I'm just going to tell you that Sam Darnold who couldn't even finish the Giants game the other day threw for 305 yards against that defense Um, Daniel Jones of the Giants threw for 402 yards against that Saints defense Mac Jones threw for 270. Even Taylor Heineke or Heineke threw for 250 yards for the Washington football team. This was a Saints defense that had given up big chunks of yardage through the air. Why couldn't the Seahawks, and I'm pointing the finger squarely at Shane Waldron and the decision to bring him in, why couldn't they scheme to get some people open uh, in, in intermediate or short passing plays. I don't get it. Lots to unpack there. The Saints got healthier, certainly. Marshawn Lattimore missed time. Other notable players missed time. Marcus Davenport. But, yes, there's a lot of fault to go around. One, Geno Smith just isn't that good. I think it's fair to say after these last two games, yes, you want to see more from Shane Waldron. Even when Russ was playing, you felt like there wasn't enough that was schemed open. 
Yeah, where's the in innovation? In terms of easy touches, getting your best players in space. Yeah. How much is he being? That's the age-old question. We asked this with Brian Schottenheimer. Before he got there, I'm sure it was asked, you know, to the previous offensive coordinators and I wasn't covering a team. How much is Pete Carroll influencing Shane Waldron of saying, hey, pound the rock and give it to Alex Collins. Do not let Geno Smith lose us this game by taking bad sacks or uh, throwing a pick six. I don't know if that conversation was had. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. I think it's more frustrating when it's you know third and short and they're out of the shotgun and they do run inside zone with Alex Collins to get stuffed you know so yes I think there is blame to go around all over the place uh, Shane Waldron included I, I think it's fair to say is he what we hoped with all of the the rave reviews during the offseason program and training camp from players to coaches to everybody saying gosh this guy is just the man and it doesn't feel like we are watching one of the up-and-coming um, offensive minds in this league. But I also think until Pete Carroll is no longer there, you're not going to know for sure. Brady, the word that they kept on using during the offseason when they hired this young guy from the Rams and Sean McVay is innovation. He's very innovative. Is that the word? Innovative. I, you know, even when Russell Wilson was in there, I... I watched, and there were a couple of instances in certain early games where I thought, hmm, that's a little different. There's a little wrinkle. There's something to get excited about. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, I don't see it. Are you, uh, are you on Joe's side where you're wondering whether he's being allowed to be innovative? By the head coach of the team? Well, I think the word that I remember hearing a lot was intricate. Uh, that intricate. was the word that I recall. Okay. Yeah, intricate. But Sorry, wrong in. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know how much you can judge a guy when he's playing with a backup quarterback. And, you know, in this game in particular, I think this might have been a struggle, an offensive struggle, even if Wilson was out there, just given the fact that it was, you know, if the conditions were bad. You were down to their second, uh, you know, with their, without Chris Carson, and they're facing a very good run defense on a night where just the the conditions really dictate that you sort of have to run the ball. I certainly think that the final five minutes would have looked different just because this was another instance of Geno Smith coming up short at the end. And, you know, look, the interception against the Rams, the receiver fell down. You can't really put that on his shoulders. The fumble late in the game uh, in overtime last week. And again, they had the ball in this game, again, for the third time in three weeks, they had the ball in the final three minutes with a chance to either tie or take the lead. Now, you got to go along with, they had to go a long ways in, again, bad conditions in this game. So it's not something that you expect to back up quarterback to, but it was just another instance of Geno Smith and the offense coming up short. I think with Waldron, what did we say in the beginning? As intricate as this offense might be and as well-designed as some of the concepts might be to avoid what happened late last year when they really did not have the short and intermediate passing game to counter what defenses were doing is uh, the the Walder or the uh, McVeigh pedigree the up-tempo stuff as much reason as there was for optimism with Shane Waldron there's still the fact that he is a first-time play caller and as I said I just think that anybody who has ever called plays in the NFL would tell you that there is a learning curve involved in that. And so it was not unreasonable to think that with all the weapons they have and as much potential as this offense has, that there was going to be some struggles out of the gate. You had the inexperience of the play caller and a backup quarterback, and I think that's why you've seen what you've seen. Brady, are we ready for a quarterback change? they got a couple of Jakes, one of which is Eason, 
Is it time to take a look at one of the other backup quarterbacks on this team? No, I don't think so. I still think that Geno Smith gives them the best chance to win. I mean, Jacob Beeson has only been there for a week, so by the time they play Jacksonville next week, he'll have had two weeks. It's just not realistic to think a guy has enough time in offense in two weeks to to give them any chance of winning. You know, for a guy who really hasn't done anything in the NFL to this point anyways, Jake Luton would, if they do make a change, Jake Luton would almost certainly be the guy, I would imagine, just because he's been in this offense since the beginning of the season. But you're, again, talking about another young guy who really has not done a lot in the NFL. And I think for one more week, if that's all it is with Geno Smith, I still think he gives them the best chance to win. He's given them a chance to win. It just hasn't got it done at the end. Joe, you agree? I guess you go from one really bad quarterback to another really bad quarterback. I'm sort of indifferent for the sake of seeing something different. Plus, you got to remember the the revenge game narrative with Jake Luton against the Jaguars is real. And so you give him that opportunity to go against his former team. You just never know uh, what kind of lightning you're going to catch in that bottle. Oh, jeez. Uh, I tend to agree with Brady. The, the chaos in me says just throw in Jake Luton and see what happens. It's hard to imagine it could be much worse than it was tonight. I mean, I get what Brady's saying, but this was bad. No matter what the conditions are, no matter who you're playing, the lack of awareness from a veteran quarterback in terms of the the sacks he was taking, I think is alarming. And so, yeah, why not? Pull the plug. You mean mean Monday night. You don't mean tonight, right? I would never, ever, ever mean tonight. I certainly (laughs) meant Monday night. Uh, Brady, how was the officiating on Monday night? A couple of really big calls. I'm not saying they were wrong or right. I thought that the taunting call... You can say they were wrong. Not all of them were wrong. I, I, was the taunting call on Everett, Gerald Everett, the wrong call? That was a really hurtful no. moment. They were at the 45-yard line of, um, of the Saints, and it goes 15 yards back, and they never get out of their own way after that. What do you think of the... Uh, the officiating, Brady. Yeah, well, the Everett call, I mean, you can disagree with the rule and the newfound emphasis on taunting. You could, you could, you could argue that flipping the ball to a defender shouldn't be a penalty, but we all know that it is a penalty, and, and that's, a, that's a play that would have been flagged last year or the year before, even before they had the renewed emphasis on taunting. And so I don't know what is going through Gerald Everett's mind in that situation when his team earlier in the season already you know, committed a few of those. It was a huge talking point uh, after the first couple games, after I think DJ Reed was flagged against Tennessee and DK Metcalf against Indianapolis in the opener. So I really don't know how what was going through okay. Gerald Everett's mind in that okay. situation. And then in terms of you know the two late flags, I, I have not had a chance to look at those again, but it did seem like in real time that, yeah, I mean, Marquise Blair hit Jameis Winston in his helmet. And on one hand, you look back at Marquise Blair's history at college where he had some discipline issues with, you know, his sort of target. I think he got kicked out of a few games at Utah for doing that. Now, it's easy for me to say from the press box, it's a lot harder to adjust in real time when a quarterback's going down and all that. But it was no doubt a costly penalty. I thought what was interesting is that Marshawn Lattimore was lucky to have not gotten ejected twice in that game. So after his first his first unnecessary roughness penalty against DK Metcalf in the first quarter, the official comes up to him and tries to separate him. He shoved the official off of him. I know. That's, 
I saw that. Yeah. Every time, that's an ejection. I saw that. And then later in yeah. the game, when he got his second penalty against Metcalf, he took a swipe at his face mask. Like yeah. it was sort of in between, like a punch and a slap. Uh, and they were kind of going at it before that. But basically, always see whenever a guy punches a guy in the in the face mask or makes contact like that, you always pretty much always see that guy ejected. So he was lucky twice. I have a question before we do who was doing work. Joe, is there a new NFL rule that I don't know about that if more than three or four players on the offense false start on fourth down that it's not actually a penalty it's only a penalty if one or two do it because it's yeah seems if to the me majority like, jumps off start or off or you know false starts and yeah. goes early then yeah. they just they wave, wave it because it, it just takes so much synchronizing <laughs> to get that all set up okay yeah that was one of the really Killer. bad ones the, the pass interference call uh, against dj reed was pretty soft um, there was a roughing the passer penalty that was really soft. On the Saints, yeah. Yeah. So not a good night. Not a great night for the officials. No. Even though there were some that were, were definitely justified, the Gerald Everett taunting penalty. And I'm one of the biggest of people who opposes the, the taunting penalty and the emphasis on it. I just think there's so many other things officiating wise they need to clean up, like these bogus roughing the passer penalties. But that being said, the one on Gerald Everett was legit. Okay, boys, Taco Time presents the segment, the Seahawks' no table. Unfortunately, another loss where we have to pick out a, a player or players that were doing work. I'm going to give Joey Fan, Joey Vegas, Joey no table. Joey, he tied for the KP with Mitchie the Kid. Joey everything. Joey Memphis. Joey contusion. How's the contusion? Everything better? You all right? <laughs> Shoulder's great. <laughs> Joey, Joey contusion. <laughs> Uh, Joey, you get the first shot. Pick of the litter. Who was doing work for Taco Time and the Seahawks? Yeah, Alvin Kamara had a big game. 30 touches, you know, over 150 total yards from scrimmage, 128 through the air, scored a touchdown. I mean, I know we're supposed to pick Seahawks, but, I mean, he was the only guy that the Saints had to go to. The Saints pass catchers were woeful in this game, apart from him. They had a couple of, of uh, nine routes, their go balls that, that were dropped consecutively. Jameis Winston put it on them. Jameis Winston had some bad throws, some misfires. They Adam Troutman fumbled once. It was really all Kamara all night long on Monday night. Uh, certainly not tonight. That was Monday night. Um, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, I'll, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give a nod to Jordan Brooks who had some big plays. Okay. It was a third down stop yep. where he thumped uh, Alvin Kamara in the hole for no gain. And then he saved a touchdown with his leaping pass breakup uh, okay. in the first half. All right, Jordan Brooks was doing work, according to Joey Fan. Joey Contusion from Vegas. Brady Henderson sitting at, what do they call it, Lumen Field now? It's not CenturyLink Field anymore. Go ahead, Lumen Brady. Who was, doing, who was doing work for the Seahawks in your eyes? Well, if you have seen me in the little Zoom box here peeking over to my side, what I've been doing is flipping through the final game book trying to find any reminders of somebody on the Seahawks who was doing work because <laughs> there, there are no obvious choices. I got Here you one. Go. I got one. Jamal Adams was doing work in the second half. His he made a couple game. big plays. Best game of the year, right? Yep. For all of the, the crap that we have Mr. given Joe. him. And it's not even crap. We've been fairly critical of his play, which I think is totally fair when this guy is making as much money as he has. He has not gotten it done this year, but he got it done on a couple plays in the second half. He had that pass breakup, or at least he, he closed on that ball uh, well enough to f help force an incompletion down the uh, left sideline when it looked like a, the receiver had to step on Sidney Jones. 
showed some very nice closing speed on that play, and then he had that pass breakup when he came on a delayed blitz and um, got a hand on a Jameis Winston pass. So it's two plays, and you'd like to see more from a guy making $17.5 million, but you got to give some credit where it's due, and I think it was due because he made a couple nice plays there. Jamal Adams was doing work, according to Brady Henderson of ESPN, ESPN.com. I'll tell you what, since Joe took Jordan Brooks, I'm just going to say the front four, the defensive front four and substitutes were doing work for the Seahawks' defense. Against the run, that was as good a performance against the run as we're going to see the Seahawks, with the exception of one back-breaking 12-yard run on third and 10, they, what, was it, what were Kamara's numbers? I think he was under three yards a carry, even with that 12-yarder. 20 for 51. He was 20 for 51, and he got 12 on third and 10. So you can do the – well, Joe, you – I probably can't. No, you can't do I do math. believe it's 19 for That's 39. 2.6 yards per carry. I just did the math in my I, head. I thought the 2. Seahawks' front four, in particular maybe the front seven – I thought the front four was really good, especially against the run. So I'll say the front four, all the defensive linemen were doing some work for the Seahawks in their 13-10 loss to the Saints. That's it for the Seahawks No Table. My final question is for you, Brady. You get the final word. It's the question you don't want to answer, but you have to answer it anyway. Is it over? Is it all over? Is the 2021 season over for the Seattle Seahawks? Or is there still a breath or two left in the Seahawks? It's not over. It's hanging by a thread, but it's not over. And the reason I say that, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, they're going to get Wilson back. Now, it may be too late by the time they get him back, but they're going to get him back maybe even in week 10 after one more game. Their defense is showing some signs of life, you know, the last couple weeks especially, but really going back to the San Francisco game. And the other thing is, like, look at the NFC standings. Remember, there's seven teams now that make the playoffs, so there's an extra wild card. And if you look, what, what does Mitch always say? If the season ended today, they're only one win out of that seventh playoff spot. Now, the season doesn't end today, so it's dumb for me to even bring that up, but... That is the situation. The NFC is very top-heavy. Teams fighting for that wild card spot or that final wild card spot are all two and four, three and three, uh, whatever the case may be. So look, no. the, Ryan, their chances good. of winning the division. Over here. <laughs> was I really? That was two and four, three and three, whatever the case may be. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that, was that, that was that. Buster Rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> What was I saying? Uh, that it's not over. The chances of winning the division, I mean, they're I'm five I'm not games asking back. the division. I'm not asking they're the division. Not, that's not happening. I'm but asking. I think there's, there's a, yeah. You agree? So you agree with that, Joe, by the way? It's not over? Yeah, they're lucky the NFC is as top heavy as it is. The, the top six teams in the NFC are vastly superior to everyone else that's, that's in the mix. But yes, I, I do think that. You look at the standings, and if they can get Russell Wilson back and um, you okay. find a way, you got to beat the Jaguars. Okay. The wild card spot's alive. Okay. Joey Fan in Vegas putting a little uh, a little Ben Gay on his back there from the conclusion. Uh, Joey, <laughs> thank you very much, Joe Fan in Vegas. Thanks, Mitch. Uh, Joey, it's okay to share the KP. It's all right. It's all right. It's two and a half, two and a half to one. You're, you're, you're still in, in position to get a wild card spot. You're not going to win the division. Let me tell you, I can promise you I'm not losing any sleep about the K. 
kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are losing some sleep doing this late at night. I know that. And Brady Henderson, ESPN and ESPN.com. Thank you, Brady. Thank you. So here I am having a good week, feeling all great about myself. And then here she comes. There's no better person to remind me of my limitations than Katie Versio, senior financial planner of our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being back. Three questions more. And the theme today is... Tax reform. So this is a big hot topic in the news this year. The House just a few weeks ago recently released updates to their proposed legislation. And this is especially relevant for us. In 2020, Evergreen acquired a tax firm. Mm -hmm. So with the help of Evergreen Sterling Cooter, we put together a few questions. Yes, I knew that. I knew about the acquisition of the tax firm. Let's go. Question number one. I'd like to hit one out of the ballpark. One of these days. Oh. Go ahead. All right. So the first question, the proposed maximum tax rate is increasing to 39.6% starting at $400,000 for individuals or 450000 for married couples. What's the current maximum tax rate? Is it 30%, 32%, 37%, or 38%? Well, it's not 30. It's either 32 or 37. I'll say 32%. Oh, you should, it was actually 37%. <laughs> In this proposal, it would go from 37 to 39.6. Okay. Got it. So it's up 2.6% in the highest bracket. Question number two. All right, this this might be one for you. This is true or false. Oh! <laughs> so this proposal repeals 1031 real estate exchanges, which allows you to sell investment real estate and defer capital gains tax by rolling it into another property. Is that true or false? Sounds true to me. It's actually false. Oh. Yes, it was uh, in the original proposal, they were recommending repealing it, but it is not in this version. So holders of investment real estate can hold a sigh of relief. Okay. I'm 0 for 2. I've got one last shot to get off the schneid and at least hit 333. Go ahead, Katie Versio. Okay, so this proposal recommends increasing the top capital gains rate from 20 to 25%. What is the starting date for this increase under this proposal? So is it starting January 1st, 2021? So going all the way back to the beginning of the year. April 30th, 2021. September 13th, 2021, or January 1st, 2022? September 13th is just too <laughs> obscure of a date for you to throw at me. Where would you come up unless it's your birthday or something? I'm going I'm going September 13th. I'm trying to read you, Katie. All right. Well, you got that one. You read me pretty well. <laughs> yes. So that was actually the date that the House released this updated legislation. So any gains that are incurred after that date will be effective at the new rate. That's fantastic. All right. I went one for three. And how do we find out some information if we want to know more about the tax firm that you guys acquired several months back? Yes. So anyone interested can reach out to me directly at my email, kvercio at evergreengovcal.com or visit our website at evergreengk.com. And GovCall is G-A-V-E-K-A-L. Evergreen GovCall is everything wealth. Unfiltered.
Morris off the play fake, a rifle to the end zone, touchdown. And Washington surges in front. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. the pitch is picked off, and it's going to be a touchdown for Servassier Dennis. Taco Time Northwest, and it's continuing quest for new team members, present CBS College Football Analyst Rick Neuheisel, tacotimenw.com slash careers, to set up a 15-minute Zoom interview. In most cases, that's all it takes. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so proud to tell you that Pittsburgh cruised by Clemson <laughs> and Neuheisel is officially off the schneid. Here he is, free at last. Free at last. <laughs> Free at last. <laughs> oh, my. No one was more joyful in watching <laughs> Kenny Pickett having that kind of day. And by the way, the game started up 7 yes. nothing, Clemson. And I'm yes. like, no, yes, no, <laughs> not today. <laughs> yes, it did. And you mentioned Kenny Pickett. And I got to, after watching that game with uh, a lot of interest, a lot of financial interest on that game, I decided, and I've seen Pittsburgh play before because, as you know, you picked against Pittsburgh just a few short weeks ago. and they Georgia were, Tech, which is a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. Just one of several that you picked against. But this guy, Kenny Pickett, I can't imagine that there's a more under-the-radar great player in college football. Do people know who Kenny Pickett is? I watched that game pretty much from beginning to end, and I came away thinking – I'm not sure I've seen two or three quarterbacks in the country, Rick, that are as good as this guy. This guy is right on the button. He is uh, moving up the charts drastically. There's no question in my mind that uh, he's going to be part of the Heisman conversation as we get closer to making those decisions. Pitt, as you know, it has only one loss, and it's bizarre, but it's to Western Michigan. Yeah, I can't believe and that. And yeah. I, 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 you know, he he's the perfect poster boy, Mitch, for what we're calling this year the super senior. Here's a guy that came back for an extra year, and for that extra year, he's probably going to end up as a first-round pick. He's really good. He's really, really good. I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback. You would know that better than me. But just from my eyes watching a college football game the other day, he's terrific. And so I'm thinking about while I'm watching that game and Clemson is pulling their quarterback. I can't pronounce his last name, but DJ. DJ Ui Ungalale. Yes. And he was one of the top high school <laughs> quarterbacks in the country. And I'm watching them pull him in the second half of that game. And it's dawning on me that all of the Heisman preseason favorites, we had the quarterback of Oklahoma who was a favorite. He's out. We've got Clemson's – these guys that were Heisman favorites, they're not even the best quarterback on their own team anymore. It's phenomenal. Kenny Pickett, by the way, is 23 touchdown passes and just one interception on the year. Oh. But DJ Uyunglele and Spencer Rattler – have been unable to play keep away from the opponent. And that's why they're finding themselves on the pine. Choices one and two in the Heisman race to begin the season are now riding the pine and soon to be in your favorite transfer portal. <laughs> Some really crazy happenings, Rick Neuheisel, in college football this past weekend. We had nine overtimes. You celebrated two birthdays. 
during the Illinois Penn State game. <laughs> and here and here's the thing that I shouldn't admit to, but I guess I have to because I, I do this sports thing. I've been doing this sports thing for a lot of time. I'm supposed to know the rules of college football. I turn on the damn TV and they're doing two point. Conver- they're starting with two point conversions. When, when did that happen, Rick? It started this year. The rules committee, uh, which includes coaches, felt like it was uh, putting players at risk to continue the current overtime or the old co- overtime system, which, as you recall, the seven overtimes between Texas A&M and LSU just a few years ago, where they just thought those kids were exhausted. Right. They couldn't didn't want to do that anymore. Right. So in their infinite wisdom, they said by by the third overtime, it would just go to two point plays. And so we had 14 two point plays <laughs> in Happy Valley. <laughs> And by the way, if you were an offensive coach, it became unhappy Valley because only three of the 14 two point plays found Pater. And it was it was an exercise in futility for if you're offensive minded people. I will tell you this. Here's what here's what the rule should be. The rule should be fine. You're never going to go back to the old way because it would look like you're going in the opposite direction from safety. Okay. But you should start the first overtime session always demanding that if you score a touchdown, you go for two. That way we won't get to the third overtime very often. And the third overtime again starts with these two point plays, which to me was uh, wild. And by the way, while that one was going on, Harvard Yes. Also lost in five overtimes. Yes. Did you see how so, they lost? Yeah. Well, that you were mentioning you should know the rules. <laughs> rules were at the core of the conversation yesterday yeah. in college football. Yeah. The Harvard overtime game probably should have been won by Harvard because the Princeton coach on a two-point play that Harvard scored on right. claimed he had called timeout and they went and looked at replay. It's not reviewable. I've never heard of anybody reviewing whether a coach called a timeout in time. That's the first time yeah, I'd ever heard of exactly it. Exactly right. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's right? not reviewable, but, it, but you know, they have common sense in the Ivy League, and they said, well, maybe it should be reviewable, but it wasn't, and it cost Harvard a win. The other place where rules became part of the conversation were in the Oklahoma-Kansas game, a game where Oklahoma was favored by 38, Mitch. Yes. And shut Went out. scoreless in the first half. Shut out in the first And in half. the ending game, ahead 23-18, we're trying to hand it off to Kennedy Brooks for a fourth and one, get the first down, let's get out of here. He wasn't going to make it. And K- uh, Caleb Williams, their new quarterback, grabbed it from Brooks's hands and then ran for the first down himself. Bringing up these three rule questions, three, Number one, can you have a forward handoff? The answer is yes, but only if you're behind the line of scrimmage. So now the question is, did Kennedy Brooks cross the line of scrimmage before being pushed back short of the line to gain? And the answer is very close, but probably not. Second question, can you advance a fumble? It doesn't look as if Kennedy Brooks handed it off. It looks like Caleb Williams took it from you. <laughs> right. So if you right. got it taken from you, is right. that in essence a fumble? Because on fourth down, you cannot advance a fumble. Oh my so God. that's question two. 
because it doesn't look like Kennedy Brooks is trying to give it to him. It looks like it's just being taken from him. But is there such a thing as being a cause fumble with your own teammate? That's the second question. So all kinds of rule rule questions uh, going crazy. Third and finally, the whistle blowing. Was this a should the whistle have been blown because Kennedy Brooks was now going backwards and that one's close. Uh, there were a number of people that said it should have been, but again, not reviewable. So Oklahoma lives to fight another day. This is all way too much for a college football fan. It'd be easier <laughs> to be a fan of the ballet. I say this all the time after gut wrenching Seattle Seahawks games where the whole world in this part of the, in this part of the country is complaining. I always get on the radio or on the podcast and say, It'd be easier if we were just ballet fans. Forget football. It's too hard. Where's Barishnikov <laughs> when you need him? <laughs> okay, how about this one for you? And by the way, I thought just going back, and we can put, a, put an end to it, going back to the nine overtimes, I thought that the rule was on, at a certain point in, in, in overtimes, you had to go for two. You weren't allowed to kick the extra point it was. anymore. Okay, that's the change. That was okay. That was the case. Yeah. By the but a year ago, the rule was once you got to the third overtime, you had to go for two. Okay. My point is, rather than going for this, they should have just made, just make it at the start of overtime. You have to go for two, and you won't get that far. But uh, those with infinite wisdom decided on this way of going. All right, I'm going to challenge you, Rick Neuheisel, because before you. We started here, and we were just chit-chatting before we started to record. You told me how much time you have on your hands during the course of a given week in New York. So I'm going to give you an assignment for next week. And here's the assignment. I don't, okay. even, I don't even know if you're aware of this. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. There was a game between Wake Forest and Army this past weekend on Saturday. You like to say yesterday. I say it Saturday. It was on CBS Sports That's Network. Right. On Saturday. I was well aware of it. Say yes. on Saturday. It was on CBS Sports Network on Saturday. Not yesterday. Saturday. On right? Saturday. On Saturday, yes. right. Yes. On um, Saturday. And the final score was Wake Forest 70 and Army 56, I believe. Here's what I want you to find me. When I looked at the box score of that game after the game was over, do you realize that the time of possession for Wake Forest, they had the ball 17 minutes of the 60 minutes in the game. Now you find me, Rick Neuheisel. I want to, whether it's a Neuheisel-led team, coach team, or some a team from the 1920s, you find me a team that scored 70 points in 17 minutes of time of possession <laughs> in a game. Because I can't believe that that's ever happened. If you had said to me last week, I would say that is impossible. There is no way that it happened. It happened in the Wake Forest Army game. How about that? That is a mind number, no yeah. question. And yeah. I will work diligently to find <laughs> another team to accomplish the feat. The other thing that happened in that game, Mitch, I don't know if you realize that, but the over-under in that game was 54. No. Both teams eclipsed <laughs> the over-under. <laughs> Why didn't we have that one, Rick Neuheisel? Uh. That would have made me feel really smart. <laughs> Where are we on Cincinnati? I believe it was a couple of weeks ago that I posed to you the Cincinnati conundrum, and I think you said something along the lines of, Mitch, I don't think an undefeated Cincinnati team was going to make the Final Four. They're sitting there. They barely beat, what was it, Navy this this past weekend. 
and they're right. sitting undefeated. They're sitting number two in some of the polls, I guess. Are you are you holding on to that belief that there's that Cincinnati, should they win them all, will not be in the Final Four? I am holding on to that belief. Wow. Uh, they're being helped by Notre Dame. Notre Dame continues to impress, but you can see Ohio State rounding into form. Uh, you can see Oregon. That was an impressive win for Oregon to go down to the Rose Bowl and win as an underdog. You can see Michigan, Michigan State. That game's going to be a big one this weekend. The winner of that's going to be hot. Yep. They'll, they might jump in front of Cincinnati at some point. Right. I believe this. I'm going to make this prediction. Okay. The committee in their first go-round, assuming that Cincinnati is undefeated still, will make the Cincinnati Bearcats their number four team. They'll do so in their own logic, individually. I'm not calling anybody out, no conspiracy theory. I'm just saying in their own logic, they'll say, I'm going to put them in position so it doesn't look as if I'm faulting them for being a group of five program, but I'm going to not put them in such a place that I'm locked into it. I believe the Bearcats will be at four, and then it will be the eye test, which is at the end of the day, the where the system we've chosen and for better or worse right now mitch ohio state is ranked ahead of oregon ohio state lost to oregon in columbus we have chosen a system that at a 12 and 1 ohio state as a big 10 champ and a 12 and 1 oregon duck team as a pac-12 champ if both get there ohio state will be in and oregon will probably be out and that is the system which we've chosen. It's no one's fault. But we don't earn it here. We let our eyes tell us. How's this big mess in the Big Ten going to play itself out? We got, as you say, an Ohio State team that's really surging. I happen to put a few pesos not only just on your recommendation, but I put a few pesos on Ohio State against Indiana this past weekend, which was good for my my wallet. I also put a few pesos on Alabama. I didn't think I was going to win that one, but I ended up winning that one as well. We've got Ohio State. We've got a surging Michigan. We've got Michigan State unbeaten. And we still have an Iowa team that's kind of hanging around with one loss with uh, the right combination of wins and losses at other at other places. They could find themselves back in a, uh, a Big Ten championship game and maybe even a, a Final Four appearance. How's it going to play out in the Big Ten? Amazingly, Mitch, in the Big Ten, we have six teams that still control their own destiny to win the it's championship. Amazing. That outright. is amazing, yeah. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State all have that. They're all undefeated in the East. And, of course, Michigan and Michigan State play this week. Ohio State hosts Penn State this week. Penn State's got two losses, so they're going to need help. Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Say that with me. Wisconsin holds their own fate in their hands. Really? Bizarrely, because Wisconsin plays Iowa this week, and they're a three-point favorite. They play Iowa this week. Then they're at Rutgers. Then they play Northwestern, Nebraska, and they finish against Minnesota. Minnesota and Iowa are the only teams ahead of them. If they knock them both off and beat both Rutgers, North or beat Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, they'll be in the Big Ten championship game. Wow. Despite the things we've said about the Badgers, how it's is incredible. that possible? So how is it going to? So tell me, how's it going to work work itself out? What do you think is going to happen? I think Wisconsin is going to find their way all the way to. Uh, 
the championship game. Their defense is that good, and I believe Ohio State, because of their offense, is going to be the uh, reign supreme in the East, and it's going to be uh, Ohio State beating Wisconsin and going to the college football playoff. Yeah, that makes sense. Because you think Ohio State, where's the Ohio State-Michigan game this year? Do you know? Where is it? It's at Michigan. Okay. So Wisconsin and Ohio State in the Big Ten final winner. Ohio State wins and goes to the Final Four. By the way, in that scenario, if Wisconsin were to beat Ohio State somehow, some way, would we be Big Tenless in the Final Four, or would somebody still get in not being a Big Ten champion into the Final Four? Well, if Michigan only loses to Ohio State, and let's call it a close game in Ann Arbor, right, and ends right. up, you know, eleven and one, it could be an Alabama scenario where they get in anyway especially if Alabama loses Cincinnati, the second team in the big 10, they all need Alabama at some point to lose. lose. Okay. There are two major job openings in college football. There'll probably be a handful more. I'm assuming that new Heisel is not a top candidate at either one of these, (laughs) although I'd pay to see him as the head coach of USC, but that's a story for another day. Let's assume for a sec, because I've been thinking about this this week, about the LSU job opening and the USC job opening and what that would have been Mm -hmm. like when I was a kid, when you and I were kids, you're a little older than me, but when we were kids, you would have laughed at the LSU opening and the USC opening was out would obviously been everything would have been on everybody's minds. Now we're in 2021. Let's assume, take yourself out of your UCLA skin and your Pac-12 roots And let's say you grew up, Rick Neuheisel, in Chicago, Illinois. And let's say you were the quarterback one time for Northwestern, although we know you couldn't have ever been the quarterback of Northwestern because you academically would never have been able to fit at Northwestern. (laughs) So say you. Okay. Um, So you have no ties to the SEC. You have no ties to USC or the Pac-12, and you are the hot commodity. You're the hot coaching prospect, and both both schools want you. And they both offer you the same package today in 2021. Which is the better job? Which job would you want from Chicago, Illinois? It's easy for me to answer this question because a man back in 2000 uh, did answer it. His name was Nick Saban. Now, the SC job was not open at the time, but Nick Saban left Michigan State to take LSU. He did it because he knew LSU was the only power five school in the state. He knew what kind of defensive line talent existed in uh, that great state of Louisiana. And he knew that defensive line play was the gold bullion of college football talent. Right. There isn't enough of it. Right. It's, you, you just, so if you're going to have a team that's going to be built on defense, which his was his trade, you needed defensive linemen. And that's why he went there. What he didn't have to deal with was a juggernaut at Alabama. And whoever takes the LSU job this time has to realize I have to go through Tuscaloosa and Nick Saban to get to the promised land, which is a very difficult thing to do, which is why I still say USC, when things are right and the president and the athletic director and the head coach are all in alignment yes. and understand the mission yes. and ha- the, the resources will come in and the fan base will return that's the best job because there is no Alabama in the Pac-12 right now. There is no dominant team. You are the dominant team. You've just been sleeping, and that's why the Pac-12 is sleeping. You want to get things jump-started, George Klyovkov, Mike Bone, 
president, Carol Folt, they need a coach to get in there that understands how to do it. And in this day and age, with the new advent of NIL and the opportunities that are abound in Los Angeles, the USC job with the transfer portal can get fixed presto. And I still say the USC job has the potential and a very quick potential to be back amongst the very, very best. Sounds to me like... If Alabama weren't yeah. around, if Nick Saban weren't if, around, if you I didn't have yeah. to beat Alabama, yeah. But but think about think about. I mean, now Ole Miss is going. Ole Miss Lane Kiffin's got them. I mean, the resources in the SEC, and in particular the SEC West, Auburn's trying to keep up. They all they're like pro football teams. SC can go to the head of the class in terms of resourcing its program faster than anybody in that SEC portion of the world. And because of the pomp and circumstance and the historical pedigree that that SC wields, just go and show the video, the film strip, of you will, of Marcus Allen, Charles White, and go on back to OJ in the days. I mean, it is a beyond belief history at SC. 11 national championships speak for themselves. Okay, after listening to those previous two minutes, and as eloquent you were with the, the answer to that question, I'd like to rescind my earlier remark. I think maybe you would have been on the wait list at Northwestern. So, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. oh, gosh. Okay, so that brings us to the end of our time together for this week on Mitch Unfiltered. And boy, we and I'm are. hot, Mitchie. Oh, I'm boy. hot. I'm rolling hot dice. Get him back down here. He threw... <laughs> He threw six snake eyes in a row and then found a way somehow to get some people some money on the seventh roll of the dice. So now the question is, as he turned the corner, is this the beginning of an unbelievable run to the finish line with good picks in bowl games and good picks in national championship semifinals and final? Is this the? Are we going to look back to the first six weeks of this season in a month or two months' time and say you're a member? It almost feels like a, a two years ago when you were cold. I think this might be the beginning of something big, Rick Neuheisel. We are going to begin a streak that they'll be. <laughs> talking about for years to come okay let me just say this i i I told you i like wisconsin i i think it's eerie that they've got them a three-point pick at home over iowa but i think they're right and i think uh, wisconsin will win that game but that's not my pick okay but i am going to stay in the big 10 okay and you know how painful it is given my history with the great jim harbaugh (laughs) you know how painful it is for me to take big blue Over their little brother. Over their little brother. What do you think about that, Ricky? Uh, I am taking the Wolverines. I think they're giving three and a half or four. Three and a half. I'm taking the Wolverines and Corum and uh, Haskins and and a really stingy defense and an error-free offense against... Uh, I think an overmatched uh, Spartan team. So I'm going to take the Wolverines. On the road. On the road. On the road. We're taking Michigan and Coach Khaki Pants. How do you like that, Ricky? Uh, we're going to take <laughs> – we're taking Harbaugh. We're laying three and a half to the home field, and Michigan will be 8-0 when we meet again next week at this time. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm telling you. Ladies, That's, It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, he's Rick Neuheisel. He's brought to you by Taco Time. Sorry, sorry. 
He's the red hot Rick Neuheisel. He's brought to you by Taco. No, sorry. He's the former Northwestern <laughs> quarterback and red hot Rick Neuheisel. <laughs> and uh, he joins us on Mitch, and, Mitch Unfiltered each and every week. Thank you, Rick. Have a great week. I appreciate it, Mitch. You take care. And it's time for a check-in with CEO of Daniel's Broiler, my friend Lindsey Schwartz. Lindsey, how's everything at Daniel's and how was the bourbon bash? You know, Mitch, it's great. We're getting busier every week at all the restaurants. The Bourbon Bash was awesome. We had over 100 people there having a great time, and it was just so nice to be able to host an event again after all this time and see people there and hope to do a bunch more in the future. Lindsay, where are we with staffing? That's always been a challenge and has been a challenge recently. Still some great positions available? Absolutely. As the restaurants continue to get busier, we need more and more people. So we're hiring at all positions, front and back of house, full-time, part-time, looking for good people. You can go to the website or you can actually visit the locations. And the downtown Seattle, Hyatt Regency, the bar area still open at Daniel's? Yeah, the bar is open. We're serving our bar menu that has a couple of great steaks on it. Uh, That's getting busier every week. More people are headed to downtown Seattle these days, and uh, we're excited to see it continue to get busier. Your best busboy at uh, at Bellevue, Max Levy, tells me that live piano music is returning to that location, which has been popular for you guys for years. He's absolutely right. And uh, Jim Washburn, who has been our piano player there for over 30 years, if you can believe that, uh, we say he's played Piano Man more times than Billy Joel. <laughs> he's awesome. I know, I know a lot of listeners have loved him for a long time, and uh, he didn't get to, to perform for a year and a half, and now he's back. So Thursdays through Saturday nights from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., come on in and say hi to Jim. And, Lindsay, you've added new mixers to the Amazon site. Explain that to me. Yeah, we talked about uh, the old-fashioned mixer that we launched on Amazon several months ago. It's been selling really, really well, and uh, we launched three new mixers this week, Whiskey Sour, a Kentucky Mule, and a Lavender Martini. So now we've got four mixers available on the Daniels Broiler storefront on the Amazon website. That is fantastic. There's a lot of forward momentum at Daniels Broiler. I love Daniels Broiler. Been a great partner since back in the radio days, and I'm very appreciative of that. Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. Arkansas, Arkansas, that's all I hear. So I said they would win. I was only off by 51 points. I don't deserve the death penalty. This is ridiculous. I get off in 20 years for good behavior, but oh, I get off right away if I go 4-0. So I'm going to go 4-0. Here are my selections. I kept those. I hid those. Now look, I want out of here. This is ridiculous. 20 years? Brando, Brando, call the president. Get me a pardon. Get me out of here. Brando! Well, this next segment is uh, very personal to me and I thought might be challenging to do. There's a new book out. I haven't read it yet, but I can't wait. My guess is I won't put it down once I get it. It's called Haven't They Suffered Enough? Bino Cook's long-awaited memoirs. Everybody remembers Bino from Breakfast with Bino Tuesdays for all those years with me on KJR. Here's the author, John Lucas. Good to be with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Hi, John. How you doing, Mitch? Thank you so much for having me. How's it going? How's the book going so far? Uh, everything's going well. I think there's there's been a great response. People 
people remember Bino, they, they, they're happy to hear from him again. I mean, the, the, the book is written in his voice, so it's, you know, it's like he's still around. You're, you're hearing from Bino Cook again nine years to the month after, uh, after he left us. Haven't they suffered enough is the famous Bino quote, by the way, when he heard that baseball commissioner Bowie Kuhn had offered the U.S. hostages returning from Iran a lifetime pass to Major League Baseball, and his reaction was, haven't they suffered enough? He used to pretend, I used to kid him on the show, John, that I believe that underneath it all, he really liked baseball, and it bothered him that I thought that. What do you think about his his love or lack thereof for the sport? T- tell you what, Mitch, you know, whenever you read the book, uh, you know, whenever listeners read the book, they're going to be... I don't want to say shocked, you know, that's a, that's, that's a strong word. Maybe surprised that you, uh, that, that Bino had a, he, he did have a love for baseball, but it's, it, it was a long time ago when, when, when he was younger, baseball was, was ahead of college football, you know, in his, uh, pastime pecking order. But that was, uh, you know, a long time ago when he was a little kid, he talks about, uh, you know, Forbes field in Pittsburgh and going to the games there. He was seven, eight years old, and and then the whole way up through uh, through the 1960 World Series, you know, with the famous Game Seven, bottom of the ninth, Bill Mazeroski hit right. the hit right. the walk off home run, and that's that was a big part of Bino's life for for a long time. So I think people will be be interested to read that, you know, he wasn't always anti baseball. Am I going to laugh? I know I'm going to laugh. Am I going to cry when I read the book? I think you will a little bit of both. A lot more laughter than crying, but uh, there's there's some really good material in there that gives you some insight. Not just to, you know, you're, you're well aware of Bino's sense of humor. You know, you guys went back and forth for how many years. But I think there's a lot of other interesting material about his life that that very few people have any idea, uh, you know, about. And I think that was, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to, sort of push this project forward. I promised him that I would get it done one of these days. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel bad it's taken me almost a decade after, you know, after he left us to, to get it wrapped up. But I think it's, I think it's important that people pick up, you know, some of these things. Cause if you look at, you know, the way Bino's remembered, you and I obviously have different memories, uh, you know, from him and of him. But I think mostly for the public, if you mention that name, they'll say, well, Ron Paulus, two Heisman trophies, the famous <laughs> prediction, or, or, or they'll bring up the ESPN outtakes, you know, uh-huh. for the 25th anniversary. And, you know, it's just him <laughs> clowning it up and, you know, and all those things. But there, there's yeah. so much more to the guy, yeah. you know, than, than those very public things. And I think that's, that's something you're going to enjoy reading and, and learning a lot more about him. John, how did this come to be? You, he approached you. You approached him. 1999 was the year. Tell us the story. Well, you know, it, go, it goes back actually before that. Bino started working on the project uh, when he left the Miami Dolphins. He was doing PR for the Dolphins uh, in 75, and that was two years before I was born. So, so this, this project predates me by quite a bit. And he started putting the notes together, and he had a general idea of, you know, what he wanted to write about and what he wanted to talk about. And he tried over the years for several, several different, you know, ghostwriters, co-authors, and he just couldn't, he couldn't write. He couldn't do, you know, he couldn't come across in print with a written word the same way he could on the air. Mm-hmm. He approached me. I, I wrote him a letter when I was in high school and we got to be good friends. He was, he was a mentor to me and really, you know, helped me get my career started. And you can, you'll read about that in the, the early phase of the book. It's describes how we got together, but he obviously figured that I was, you know, the guy who can make it work and 
lo and behold, that's what we did. What was it like working with him on it in the years before he passed? Uh, as you can imagine, the, the, the very same guy that you talked to, you know, on the radio, and uh, you know, if you sat down with him to have dinner, or if you're sitting across from him, you know, having a regular conversation, he was the exact same person. There was no change. You know, in his mannerism speech, you know, he might have dialed down the profanity a little bit, you know, for his on-air hits, but uh, he was the exact same guy. So everything comes off as very conversational in the book. That's that's kind of how our, you know, working relationship was. We we saw things, you know, pretty much the same way, and we were, we were always on the same page, so that, so that really helped. Name of the book is Haven't They Suffered Enough? He was born in Boston on September the 1st, 1931. He moved to Pittsburgh young in life. He was nicknamed Bino from his Boston roots. He stayed, John, in Pittsburgh there for 74 years. He never, mar- he never married. He used to say the three most expensive things for men, three things that I'll never do, mortgage, wife, and ex-wife, in that order. In a large way, especially late in life, he was a, he was a lonely guy. You know, that, that's, that's a great line. I mean, that was... Kind of, kind of one of Bino's commandments. I mean, that was that was the way it was. I remember him telling me, you know, this is just shortly before he before he died. That, uh, you know, John, two things: if you screw up this book, or if you get married, I will haunt you. So <laughs> that was his. Yeah, that was that was the way he did things. And I think that, you know, yes, he was. I think at the end, a little, you know, a little bit lonely. But you know, he had a million friends. You know, there were a million people that he could, you know, talk on the phone with. And you know, and I think I mentioned to this to you the other day. I mean, I really appreciate just personally, you know, you having him you know, on regularly because it, you know, it gave him something to talk about and something to do. And, you know, and he could he could drop some lines, you know what I mean? And, and do things like that where he wasn't full time with ESPN anymore. And I think that that, you know, those, you know, the, the shows he did and, uh, you know, the people that would call up. I mean, it's it's funny. We'd sit there. I, I have these tapes. He'd be going off on something and be a rant or, you know, he'd be talking and all stuff that ends up in the book. And the phone would ring, and you know you'd hear Columbo, and he would answer in the middle of our call, and, and I'd, I'd have you know a minute and a half of this conversation between him and you know a sports writer or somebody else that was calling for an interview or to do something, and and he was just he would just go right into it. There was no, you know, hey, look, you know, call me back in an hour or call me tomorrow, like you know, so I can get ready for this. You know, he just went, and that was just you know the way he was. Every year I'd say I want to pay you, and he'd say I don't want to get paid, and I'd say I want to pay you, so he insisted that I write the check to the University of Pittsburgh. He graduated from Pittsburgh, I think, in 54. He was in the Army for a couple years. Then he was the sports information at Pitt, his alma mater, from 56 to 66. What did the New York sports writer Dan Parker say about him, John? They're the best uh, PR guy since Barnum, and he said, on second thought, Bailey, too. Then ABC and CBS. I didn't even know all those years that he dropped out of sports for one year and became a social worker. Is that correct? Yes, it is. That's uh, that's a, a very interesting section in the book. He he spent a year with Vista, which was the domestic Peace Corps, and uh, it was you know kind of a thing. He was burned out from from working in television, working you know in the media. And he just wanted to change a pace. He wanted to do something different, but he was also, and that's another thing you, you'll, you'll learn when you read the book. He was one of the most generous human beings you've, you'll ever come across. So I, I know I probably won't ever come across another individual like him. And I'm not just saying that as the mentor, you know, a guy who was a great friend of mine in my career, but just, you know, a genuine great human being. And uh, I think that kind of tied in with his desire. You know, he, you know, he thought about joining the Peace Corps. He said, but then again, 
he said, uh, I figured I'll, I'd rather stay in this country because, you know, I could be in the Amazon rainforest or somewhere in Africa. And, and I don't think they would find me like Dr. Livingston and, you know, and say, hey, you know, Pitt beat Notre Dame last week. So he says, I couldn't live without the college football scores. So that's why he ended up going with Vista. His relationships were legendary, John. Uh, Howard Cosell liked him. Yes. What did he call him? I called him an unmade bed. <laughs> I think that's 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 one of the great lines. Maybe one of Cosell's greatest lines, and it, it couldn't have been more accurate. If you, you know, you said that you, I mean, you talked to Bino all those years. When you finally met him, I think you you got that idea that he. He was very well put together upstairs, but you know he, he he didn't put much into dressing. His his apartment was, you know, if you if you want to imagine uh, the Odd Couple, you know, the old show with yeah. uh, was it Jack Klugman and, yes. and Tony Curtis yeah. or uh, Tony Randall? Tony Randall. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, he, he, he would have been, uh, you know, he, he was the messy uh, slob sports writer, sports yeah. guy. That was yeah. that was his thing, and that was you know the, the way he was. He hated flying. I don't know when the last time he got on a plane. One of the big reasons he hated flying was because the first word you see at the airport is what, John? Terminal. Yep. <laughs> you know, Mitch, to, to, to take that a step further, there's another great line in the book, and I don't want to give the entire thing away here, but it's, it was one of my favorites. 1986. Okay, Bino has two job offers. He had just been fired by ABC. He had spent four years there. That was when he finally got on the air as a, as a college football commentator. He had two job offers. One was with ESPN. The other one was with CNN. Not a lot of people know this. And it came down to, you know, the money was about the same. Job description, things that they wanted him to do were about the same. But, you know, you mentioned he's, he hated flying. He, you know, he hated any type of long-distance travel. So he calls up. He calls up Delta Counter at the Pittsburgh airport. And this is March of 86. The woman answers the phone and he asks her, you know, what's the difference in, in length, you know, flight time between Pittsburgh and Atlanta and Pittsburgh and Hartford? And she gives, she gives him, you know, well, if, if you connect here, direct, you know, it goes through the whole thing. Long story short, the flight to Atlanta ended up, ended up being about an hour longer, some 45 minutes to an hour longer. Yeah. And that, that made the decision. He said, I did not want to be in the air that long. And plus, he said, the Atlanta airport is, is just a zoo. Yeah. And he says, every time I have to connect through there, I go through that airport, I feel like I'm participating in the fall of Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. What an original. He loved the USC song girls, John. You know that. One in, oh, yes. One in particular that he used to talk about all the time named Stephanie Powers, an actress who was in Heart to Heart. We surprised him on his birthday on our show. We had Stephanie Powers on waiting for him to chat with him and it was a it was a priceless conversation he loved the usc song girls and we also had the usc song girls do the open for the bino the breakfast with bino show on our uh, i remember that i remember that (laughs) all right i know you don't want to give away too much of the book and i'll tell you a story that you don't know as much as you do know i'll tell you a story that you don't know to end things but before we get there i just need your two or three favorite Beano stories. There's so many to choose from, and the name of the book is uh, Haven't They Suffered Enough? Uh, I want to say it in his voice. I can't do his voice. John, tell me your favorites, the John Lucas favorite 
Yeah, I, I don't have any kids, but I've heard, you know, asking to, to say which one is your favorite, you know, is, is yeah. incredibly difficult for yeah. a parent. So I, I know what that saying kind of means. If you want me to, to, to narrow this down, I could probably give you 100. We could okay. talk for, for two <laughs> weeks. A couple good ones. There was, there was one that's, you know, kind of early life, Bino. You mentioned uh, when he was in Pitt, and then he did, his, uh, he did his two-year hitch in the service. Pitt was playing in the Sugar Bowl in 1956. And he came up with this idea to use government military aircraft to go to the game. <laughs> typical, typical Bino. He, uh, a bunch of pit guys got together. Uh, they worked out a flight plan. And, you know, because guys in the Air Force, you know, reserve guys, they needed to keep up their hours, uh, you know, for, for flight training. So he came up with this idea that they were going to fly down to New Orleans, and they had this whole convoluted plan where they, you know, that way the generals didn't figure out they were actually going to a game. I think they flew to Texas, and then they flew to Mississippi, took a bus to the Tulane Stadium to watch Pitt and Georgia Tech playing the Sugar Bowl. He's getting into a B-17 bomber, and you'll, you'll read about it in the book. You know, he gets in, he, he realized right away he wasn't flying first class. It's freezing. <laughs> they, they hand him a parachute, and you can just paint this picture in your head, you know, of Bino sitting in this old World War II plane, and, you know, just just to go to a college football game. Oh, That's God. That just gives you an idea of his, oh. you know, his devotion, not just to college football, but to Pitt. One or two others? Uh, Another one would probably be later in life. You mentioned Howard Cosell, and they had a, a great relationship. And I think that a lot of it was because, you know, they were close, but I think he, Bino understood that as a PR man, Cosell could sort of use him, mm-hmm. you know, if he wanted to leak something or if he wanted to find out information about somebody else. And I think so he, he gave him a lot, of, a lot of material or a lot of access that, that very few other people people would have would have received especially since Cosell was very very paranoid and you know the way he thought about the media and the way he was treated and that whole that whole aspect of it so Bino got pretty close and they used to have these conversations Bino's two separate stints at ABC and if you you'll read about it in the book I mean the way Bino describes it again is classic you know it's Howard Cosell you could hear him on the other side of the office yeah, that famous voice, and Bino knew he had to wrap up his stuff right away because Cosell would, you know, come in, put his feet up at a desk, light us, light up a cigar, and they yeah. would just go. That yeah. would be, you know, I, I would, I would pay good money to listen uh, to some of these conversations if somebody, if somebody had the foresight to, you know, to record them. But anyway, to fast forward a little bit. Cosell comes into his office one day and they're talking and talking and, you know, there's a million subjects and it comes down to Muhammad Ali for some reason. Mm-hmm. And obviously Cosell and Ali were very close. Bino had a different take on it. He said, well, you know, I think that Ali's the greatest boxer of all time. He said, but I, I, I don't know if I can ever square away the fact that he didn't serve. He was drafted and, you know, that whole, yeah, that whole sure. story that, you know, went on with Vietnam. You know, it was a different era. And, you know, Bino understood that. And the interesting thing was Cosell, he was, he was an officer during World War II in the Army. And he said, you know what, Bino, I agree with you. He said, I agree with you to a certain extent. You, that's your opinion. You have the right to it. I think you're wrong about Muhammad, but, you know, you're entitled to that opinion. Well, then Bino took that as sort of an opening, and he says, well, you know, and, I, and I, I've been in PR my whole life. I know what a PR stunt is when I see one. You know, and his, na- his name changes is, is, uh, is a PR stunt. And he's going back and forth, and, you know, it gets down to the point where he says, I, uh, if I ever meet the guy, you know, I'm going to call him Cassius to his face. <laughs> 
Bino shows up at lunch the next week and guess who's sitting at the oh, table. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 will, I will let you read the rest of the book uh, to figure out what happened. That's, uh, that's just the typical, you know, Bino with his big mouth and he got on a roll. Yeah. And, you know, Cosell had to, had to set him up for that oh, one. So it's, it was pretty good. Uh, that's amazing. Well, you know, I, uh, I spent on the phone a half hour with him on Tuesdays for many, many years. As I told you, John, it was at 8 a.m. Right. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And that segment was very special to me for a lot of reasons. The obvious entertainment value, the relationship that I forged with Bino. But as much as anything else... My father, may he rest in peace, who was living in Florida at the time, he, um, his favorite segment of my show in Seattle was Bino's segment. And in fact, mm-hmm. my father had somebody uh, hook his computer. He wasn't technologically savvy. He had somebody uh, uh, hook his computer into the loudspeaker of the house so that he can press a button at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays just to hear his son with Bino. And he used to... Tell me how proud he was of me with uh, that segment. And on March 16, 2012, my father and I used to travel and go see the Syracuse basketball team. I went to Syracuse. And, oh, okay. And uh, in March of 2012, they were, uh, they were placed in Pittsburgh. And 2012 was, I think, the year that he passed away, six months later. And uh, I called Bino and I said, I'm coming, I'm coming to Pittsburgh. My father and I and my brother are coming to Pittsburgh. We'd like to see you. And, and he met us at a restaurant for lunch on March 16, 2012, a restaurant that was real close to where he lived. We sat there, I want to say for three hours. The restaurant was empty. They were preparing for dinner. They were turning it over from lunch to dinner. At the end of the, at the, end of the lunch, three hours later, my father, who wasn't doing particularly well then either, Sorry. He whispered into my ear that he wanted me to walk him home. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to walk Beto to his door. So Beto and I walked. It couldn't have been more than a block and a half. I remember there was kind of a courtyard in between the restaurant and his apartment. And there was a bench. I don't know if you know of the bench that was right outside his apartment, and he needed to stop. And I know take exactly a break. what you're talking about. It's on Liberty Avenue, and it was right, uh, yeah, right, right next door in the little park area, a little parklet. Yeah. He needed to take a break. He couldn't make it the the block and a half without taking a break. So we sat on the bench for a while, and this walk probably lasted 30 minutes. And I walked him to his door, and we said goodbye. And as we were saying goodbye. Bino said to me, I want to tell you something. And I said, what is it, Bino? And he said, Tuesdays at 11 with you are the highlight of my week. And I can't wait to hear your voice each week. I gave him a hug and he turned to me and he said, and if you ever mention that on the radio when I'm with you, I'll deny it. (laughs) And those were the last words. And then I went back to Seattle. We did a few more shows and then he got sick and and we lost him in October of 2012. So it's an emotional subject for me because it ties in Bino, my relationship with Bino, my relationship with my father. And uh, that lunch, those three hours, I'll think back to for the rest of my life. They were three of the best hours I ever had with two men that I adored. And uh, I appreciate you writing the book. 
Thank you for sharing that story. I think it, not to I hate to interrupt you, but I don't think great uh, does does that justice. As Bina would say, that that was that was an unbelievable rec- recollection. I appreciate you you sharing it with us. The name of the book is "Haven't They Suffered Enough?" Oh God, that that name is so perfect. I think of so many things. Wendy's ketchup or mustard. You can't take the pressure. Wendy's ketchup or mustard. Terminal <laughs> right. and the whole thing. Oh, gosh. I miss him dearly. I'm appreciative. I can't wait to get the book. You can find the book wherever books are sold. Find it on Amazon. Find it online. Haven't They Suffered Enough by John Lucas. The memoirs. He worked with Bino on this for many, many years. And it goes all the way back to the 1970s when Bino decided he wanted to put together these memoirs for a book now finally out. John, thank you so much. Sorry about the emotions here, and uh, thanks for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Appreciate it very much. Uh, Mitch, hey, thank you very much for, for having me and for, for helping to spread the word. I know that Bino, he's, he's up in that big press box in the sky, Love and I know he, he appreciates uh, your efforts and, and those recollections as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, I got to say, a month or so ago, our family added a new fireplace to our backyard patio, and it's been awesome. We have a TV out there. It's perfect. And the service that we received from Fireside Home Solutions, absolutely unparalleled. Here's owner John Waterstrat. J-Dub, welcome back. Your team was incredible. Thanks, Mitch. And I really appreciate the kind words on that. And I think you hit it on the head. It's team. It's not just about me and uh, our relationship, but our team does a great job. I know you've met uh, certain people from our team, from the people that walk the job with you and then our installers. So it does take a team to get everything done for you. They were out here, John, I think four times. They looked at the space. They came up with options, installation, finalizing, teaching all of our family members how to use the system and this was not because of your and my relationship right this is what you guys do you're you're right on you're right on it there's a reason why we do those trips one is to first kind of take that initial measurement of kind of what you want how you want it you wanted the tv out there you wanted some heat and we talk a little bit about once we get dialed in with what kind of product we want then we're going to make sure our installation team comes out there helps you lay it out get some final measurements then we have our installers come out there and then that final touch-up is what you're talking about showing you guys how everything works. We want to make sure your new product, uh, you know how that works. And if you have any questions, we'll be there to help you. What are the turnaround times these days, John? Ours was very quick. Yep. And we talk a lot about that on other shows. It's really important to tell us about your time frame. work with your salesperson. If you want something quick, we can get that out quick with stock product. And if uh, it's something that you really want and it's uh, a specialty order product, you might be waiting six to eight months. I, I think the best method having been through it, John, is to have your team out for a look first and then visit one of your showrooms and get a look-see and go from there. Is that it? That's it. Uh, I think uh, we are here for you. So however your your planning works, but it's all about planning. So we want to help plan this space, whether it's outdoor, indoor, or a garage door. Mm-hmm. We're here to help you, and getting that patience and planning is the most important part. And don't let the name fool you, Fireside Home Solutions. They do garage doors as well as anybody. Football season is fireplace season. And listen, if you enjoy Mitch Unfiltered and this podcast, Begin your search with a really important partner that makes Mitch Unfiltered possible. Fireside Home Solutions, firesidehomesolutions.com. If you've listened to Mitch Unfiltered, 
then you know. You know by now that Jordan Flowers and his squad has changed teams to cross-country mortgage, which means even better opportunities at your fingertips. And here he is, Jay Flo himself, Jordan Flowers. How are you, Jordan? Hey, I'm doing great, Mitch. Thank you so much. It's been a fun and active summer with this transition. I've talked to so many of your patrons and listeners that have followed us and been able to connect with us since we left. But uh, we are just learning so much more about this company than we even knew as far as products and what we're able to offer our clients and quick closings. And it's been phenomenal. Give us an example. You and I were talking before we started to record. Give me an example of something that you can do now, a product that's at your fingertips now that wasn't there with the other guys? Yeah, um, we have a construction to perm product that has really been hard to get just for anybody locally. Banks have backed out on true custom construction loans. Most independent mortgage bankers don't have it. And we have it here. And it's one of the best I've seen since the early 2000s. I was talking to the head of the construction department just yesterday on a $1.4 million deal in Montana. And there are some really fantastic, unique things about our product that really Really make buying that lot and building that dream home a reality for people, including being able to finance in your payments during a construction so you don't ever have to make a payment during construction. It just gets accounted to the actual loan balance, as well as a lot of the issues tend to come down to draw requests with builders and getting their subcontractors paid quickly. Mm-hmm. We pay out based off the budgeted line item on the proposal versus having to submit invoices and receipts and then go through the process of paying out so a lot of great things here and you roll straight into a permanent 30-year fixed in the three to three and a quarter range right now so fantastic 30-year fix for it and if you're just in the market to refinance and and get better numbers on your current 30-year fix what are they and why would people that are sitting around with four percent interest rates why are they not making the call to you or somebody like you to explore their options well if they're sitting in the high threes or above four they've probably heard maybe i talked to your patrons too long maybe (laughs) who knows but it's a fantastic time to refinance and rates are still in the mid to upper twos to low threes depending on your situation and it's a great time to tap into equity in the home if you've been putting off those home projects or you're wanting to go on a trip or invest or just have money ready to put into this crazy market and i implore everybody to give me a call if you're thinking about refinancing mid threes or above even low threes depending and you want to shorten the term Mm -hmm. it's just the time to do it and the fed came out and said that they're going to maybe start tapering here soon, which could have impact on mortgage-backed securities and interest rates, so it's the time to do it. Phone number. You can always reach me on the cell, 425-890-2957. 425-890-2957. That's uh, Jordan Flowers and his team now, the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, great partners of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Lots of other stuff. I don't want to tell you that I have five RIPs. (laughs) Five of them? I have five. I can go through Well, I've got one. He's got to be on your list. Oh, I'm sure he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. First one, Stu Billet. We're going right to RIPs? I don't know. I got five of them. I mean, what do you want me to do? Well, let's check a few of these other things off the list before you get to RIPs. Let's let's end kind of, sort of, with RIPs and then your story. I thought that's all I'd be able to to do. (laughs) Well, we got to cross a few. We got to check a few of these things off the list. Have we talked enough about the the uh, the climate pledge arena and the crack and opener and everybody loving the stadium of the stadium and arena? You say the presentation. 
conversation was horseshit. I just, just thought it, it was, was horseshit. Okay, fine. If you want to say it's horseshit. No, I don't know. Then... You tell me. I didn't see it because I didn't know that I had unim- C-butt. It was unimpressive. Unimpressive. Yes, yes. And $16 beers, too, I heard were a little... A little okay, a little, I'm, s- I'm checking that off. A little it. sticker shock. Was it 16 bucks For like a bottle of Modelo, like a 12-ounce beer was 16 bucks. The Hoko crowd would have paid for it. <laughs> That's right. Paid it. No, no problem. <laughs> With your credit card. Uh, let's see. Mariners have a new owner in the group. They do. Ken Griffey Jr. had a press conference on Monday with uh, majority owner John Stanton yes. to announce that he has joined the ownership group. Now, what I said on Twitter, I'll say to you, and you can decide, and then we'll move on. We can go one of two ways with this story. I can joke about this story, or I can be serious about this story on Mitch Unfiltered. Which would you prefer? Why do I have to choose? Do you have somewhere to be? No, I'm just saying, if you want to be serious, we could say, hey, it's wonderful to have the greatest player in history of the franchise in the ownership group. We can say it's nice to have the face of the franchise and one of the greatest players of all time be a part owner in the Seattle Mariners. That's nice. We can say it's always a step in the right direction to have minority representation in ownership groups of professional franchises. So we can be serious and do that. I don't don't think I want that. You don't want that. What's the other one? Or we can joke around and ask – Will he force his way to Cincinnati after a few years <laughs> in the ownership group? Um, he's going to move he, the team. Will he suddenly just get in a car and drive away when he's finished and call John Stanton from a, a gas station? Do you know that story? Yeah. They call was, Jack Zarensic from a gas Just left. Just left, yeah. Just left. He retired by leaving. He just yeah. got in his car and drove away. We could go there. Um, we could ask, is this along with the Pyramid Brewery acquisition, is this their big additions this offseason for the Seattle Mariners? Can we can you, go there. Can you check on the pitchers and the hitters? Can we look it over there? Maybe get Again, some... I could do serious. <laughs> I could yeah. be joking. All right, Huskies. You want to talk about Huskies on Friday yes, night? That was kind of nice. They were 13-0 down and 16-7 down <laughs> heading into the fourth quarter as an 18-point favorite against the worst major conference team in America, 0-6. Yep. And they wiggled their way off the hook. And I'm just telling you, had they lost that game, I was going to start comparing the Jimmy Lake era to the Tyrone Willingham era. Oh, close. And I might still. <laughs> He's still mad. I told you, they should not be, what was he, 18-point favorites? There were 17 and a half. They should not have been uh, against anyone. I don't care. Owen six. I told you, I don't want to hear it. And they did not cover. (laughs) Yeah. They almost did not win. Right. Yeah. Against just a poor excuse of a football team. Uh, Yeah. It's really bad over there. It's bad. Really. You know how bad it is? Do you know Savelle Smalls is? No. So he's a defensive player that came from Kennedy. He's a local. He was a five-star recruit, played in the Under Armour All-American oh, wow. game. Everybody wanted him, decided to stay home yeah. and play at Washington. Oh, he's one of their... tell me. Do you know the story? No. About his dad? Mm-mm. His dad, in the middle of the game on Friday night, tweets the following. Oh, his no. dad. I'm crushed right now watching this debacle. It's completely over, and I don't care what you diehard UW fans say and alumni say. Jimmy Lake and company need to be fired right now. Whoa. (laughs) Now. Wow. That's pretty serious. That's the father of one of the most talented players on the team. Oh. Oh, boy. Those parents can get protective of their kids. Well, I mean, there's so much to say about that. First of all, should a father be tweeting... No matter how bad it is, should a father be tweeting in the middle of a game this type of stuff? Probably not. Not my style. Do I tend to agree with the father? I won't answer that question. (laughs) But how does Jimmy Lake, I mean, how does Jen Jen Cohen 
and whoever the powers to be, Crockett and all those guys, all the fun fundraising guys, how can they look in the mirror and convince themselves that this coaching staff is going to be able to recruit when they've got fathers in the middle of games saying that the, this group should be f- fired right now? Yeah. But how do you recruit? Is it not over? I mean, aren't you almost forced to now make a change at the end of the season? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're going to go to the go to the well one more time with this group. I don't see how you can do it. I don't see how the legs have not been cut from under this coaching staff in terms of recruit. I mean, how are they going to go get five-star kids when the five-star kid's father is on the on the Twitter doing that in the middle of the game? How are you going to get five-star kids if you fire Jimmy Lake though right now? I mean, you're not going to get the. You get somebody in there that has a has a great reputation on the recruiting trail in the middle of the they, season. I, no, mean, no, no, not now. Oh, okay. I'm talking about in the off season. Oh, well, I think no, I'm not firing. Well, it's been brought up, so I thought maybe you were well, saying there, do it now. There's an argument to be doing. There's actually an argument to do it now if you know you're going to do it at the end of the off season because because it's hard to kind of evaluate and interview potential candidates right now when somebody has the job. Oh, I see. It's yeah. kind of it's kind of gross and yeah. slimy. So some like, like the LSU guy, Scott Woodward, who used to be the, the athletic director here, he went out and said, Ed or- Ogeron is out at the end of the year. We're going to be. And the reason he did that is it allows him to now kind of go on the search and not have to worry yeah. what people are going to say if they hear, hey, Scott Woodward's interviewing guys for the LSU okay. job, right? So sense. there is an argument to be made to do it, but I wanted to bring it Wait, up. Let's get him. Who? Scott Woodward? No. Ed uh, Ogeron? Yes. Why not? Remember, he was the king of the world like two years ago or three years ago. Yes, he was. His team won the national championship. He's also at USC as an interim coach there, and he had some success. Yeah, Burrow, don't know. I don't national know. champion, yeah. and he's out. Yeah, he's out. Wow, he's out. Amazing. I don't know. It, it is rough over there, I though. I'm with you. I don't. I don't. Yeah, not good when the parents. Let's see what else. So I check that out, off so. the list. Tom Brady, you see the ball. The Tom Brady ball? Yeah, the 600 yeah. touchdown ball was given away and they had to get it back. Is that right? And the, the guy who, the, who got it gave it back to him. And then they're saying now that it, that thing could go for as much as uh, $600,000. He just gave it back to Tom Brady. No, I thought that there was a deal made. They well, put yeah, on the screen tonight. It's like a, a, a signed up football or a jersey. It ain't 600 grand worth of merch, no, all right? No. Yes, that's some deal. The guy got ripped off? You think? Yeah, and he, he kind of gave the ball to the representative of the Buccaneers like really fast yeah. before they negotiated a deal. Yeah, I think and Tom was Brady scared. was on with the Mannings during the Monday Night Football thing and they were asking him about it. He's like, "The guy made this is this is um Brady talking. He said, "The guy made a huge mistake. He shouldn't have handed the ball to our guy yeah. until he should have he had no leverage at that point. He had already given the ball away. What is right. he giving the ball away for?" Yeah. Now the Bucks just have yeah. to do something. You hope they have a little goodwill, which they did, but a little, right. not much. Uh Clay Clay, Clay Thompson is upset that he didn't make the NBA's all 75th team. The 75 best players in the NBA. Oh. Clay's upset. Maybe I'm naive in my ability to play basketball, but in my head, I'm top 75 all time. Woke <laughs> up this AM, still pissed about this stupid ass list. <laughs> Gee, damn it. I can't wait to hoop again. Sick of this disrespect. Winning isn't everything to some people like it is to me, I guess. He is uh, fired up for not being on the, on the all NBA's 75th anniversary team. And I'm thinking... <clears throat> Why should he be on the 75th yeah. team? Is he truly one of the best 75 players of all time? No. 
There's 170. First of all, is he a Hall of Famer? If his career ended right now, would he be a Hall of Famer? Not no, no, no. no, no. There's 177 guys in the Hall of Fame. So you you do the math. They pick 75 guys, 177 <laughs> Hall of Famers. <laughs> right. He wouldn't be one of them, but he should be on the All 75. Right, 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 right. Okay. He hasn't played in like two years, right? No, I mean, he's had lots of bad yeah. injuries. Yeah. That didn't. Now, had yeah. he played every game the last two years? Oh well, that <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. And if I average 50 a game over my NBA career, yeah, I'd be in the on the list. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Nine overtimes in a college football game over the weekend. Incredible. Wait, are they giving two points? Yeah, it's a new thing now. New Heisel explained it okay. to me. I'll wait for New Heisel. You'll get the explanation. But yes, they go for two. They don't even go for the touchdown anymore. They go for two starting in the third overtime. Wow. They just place the ball at the at that that hash and they go for two. I was wondering if somebody was waiting for their game to come on at the conclusion of that game. You know, hey, sometimes they... Oh, my God. They always yeah. wait till the game finishes. Was, was there really people sitting around? Were there people sitting around going, when's my game going to come yeah, on? the game ended. Yeah, it ended. Like nine overtimes. Yeah. That's some bad luck. Yeah. We had a college football team that scored 70 points. Wake Forest scored 70 points. Okay. So what do you think their time of possession was out of 60 minutes? They scored 70 against Army. They won 70 to 56. Okay. What do you think... Wake Forest's time of possession was in the 60-minute game to score 70 points. I have no clue. Take a guess. 30-30 is, ha- is yeah, I mean, split down the middle. You said it was 70-60? to 60? They, sc- they scored 70 points. They yeah. went 70-56. to 56, 56 okay. Yeah. How many minutes of the 60 do you think Wake Forest had the ball? 35. 35. You think it was 35-25? Yeah. Yeah, that would be a little high. It is, okay. Yeah. Want to try again? 30. That's still a little high. Let's go 25. That's still a little high. Really? Yeah. Try again. They won. Yeah, they, they had they more points. Seven, they they <laughs> had the ball enough, long enough to score 70. <laughs> right. How long do they have it? Well, if it's tw- 20 minutes, how can that be? Still a little high. What? I kid you not. 15 minutes? They had it 17 minutes. They were... They were beaten in time of possession, 43 to 17. And in 17 minutes, they scored 70 points. How? Did you watch? <laughs> Did you watch it? Like, I don't know. What's going on? I need to see just this. I'm telling you. I'm just That's telling crazy. you. That's uh, crazy. I was going to bring up the Alec Baldwin thing. Do we want to talk about the Alec? Well, what's going on with <sighs> Is he not in the middle of controversy and trouble yeah, all the time? It does feel that way a little bit. Yeah, he like punched a, a parking there was person the, or something. There was the 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 terrible voice message that yeah. got out that he that he left on his daughter's cell phone machine. Little, little piggy. There, is that what he called yeah, her? Yeah, you're a selfish little piggy. And now something. now guns are going off yeah, and people are getting killed. And I, I don't even I don't even get that story. I don't know if you want to wait to 164p to try to explain it to me. Why, it's why just is so there? Sad. Why, but why why would there be a need for guns that actually have ammunition? Oh, isn't this the movies? Okay, Isn't yeah. it supposed to be like make-believe fake? Why would there be ammunition anywhere near a set? I don't get it. Now, this this happened in 93 with Brandon Lee. Do you remember that story? Bruce no. Lee's son? No. He died on the set from a, quote, fake gun. So you'd think after 93, we'd have it dialed in maybe a little. I don't know if it was 93. It was in the 90s. So from what I read is that they had a real gun with real ammunition for target practice because they're like why? out in the desert. Why? Who knows why? Why do we need target practice? I, I'm, I'm with you. And why do people not have jackets on if we're, if we're going to have guns? Like, why, why are we not have more safety precautions? How is this happening again? It's the most senseless way to die ever. Like, it's crazy. And the story. crew walked off the set two hours earlier. You know that. 
Mm, I don't. I don't there think was I read a that. Yes, there was a walk off. Oh. And why was there a walk off? Ask me why there was. Why a Why was there a walk off? Because guns went off, and people were like, "It's not safe here." And oh, the crew walked sh- off, and the and the woman who died decided. I'm not going to walk off. I'm going to be loyal to this movie. It won't happen again. I'm going to stand here behind this camera. And after uh, the walk off, the walk out, whatever you want to talk about, whatever you call it, that's when Alec Baldwin shot this woman point blank. The pictures of him like like bent over, probably throwing up like, oh, but again, you're not giving me a satisfactory answer. Why are there guns for target? I I thought that they are just make believe guns in the movies. Well, yeah, I thought so. Or just a real gun that has there's no ammunition within like 50 miles of those. What do they need the bullets for? What do they need the ammunition for? It's great questions. I don't I I just know what I read is that they said that we're told that amounted to target practice is why crew members had. And then just talk about this. The person in charge, they were nervous about They didn't know what they were doing, really. And it's, oh. just, it's just all sad and senseless. I feel so horrible. I mean, imagine you go to work one day and you kill someone on accident. Like, it's, yeah, the pictures of him look like he'd been crying forever. And he's hunched, he's bent over, like probably throwing up. And oh, my God, I know it's so awful. I know, how can this happen in 2021? I don't understand it. It happened. Oh. It happened. Let's yeah, see. usually they just use blanks. It's just, yeah. a, just a big gunpowder explosion. Remember caps oh, as a kid? The little red, red caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You took a hammer. And you know. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah, it's sad. Really very, sad. Very sad. Okay, go to your RIPs. I, right. I, I'm assuming I've got one of them, but you've got them all. Yeah. Um, you've got Peter Scolari in there, right? I do. Okay. But I'm going to start with Stu Billet. You won't know his name, but... Don't know him. He created a show called The People's Court. Oh. Back in 1981. Whopper. Yes. Big TV ratings winner. It was much more than that because think about how many court shows then followed it. I yeah. mean, everyone for a while had a court show. Yeah. So Wapner started it. Yeah. He was the first. And then Ed Koch. Koch or Koch? Koch. Yeah, Koch. You remember him? He was yeah, the, the host. Gov- the, the mayor of New York? Not that Koch. Yes. Mayor Ed Koch. Yeah, Ed Koch. Yeah. He yeah. was the host for a while. With the host. He was the oh, judge. I didn't know that he was the host. No. Judge Judy's husband, Jerry Scheindlin, took on the role. And then finally, Judge Marilyn Millian, who oh. is still doing it. The show is oh. still on. So okay. rest in peace to Stu Billet. Beverly Tate, you won't know her name, but she gave birth to somebody named Snoop Dogg. So Snoop Dogg's mom passed gotcha. away. Only 70 years old. I was a little surprised when I read that. It's uh, a little young. Yeah. James Michael Tyler, famous for playing Gunther on Friends. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Oof. I saw that one of the actors from Friends had passed away. 59? On Sunday, 59, 59 years, years old. old. Yeah. yeah, he was battling stage prostate four prostate yeah, cancer. Yeah, that. first yeah. diagnosed in 2018. Yeah. My, my wife, that's her favorite show of all time. I didn't really watch I it. I don't know why. She said... She said that he was just a scene stealer. Like there, you really? can't you can't find a friend's fan who didn't love Gunther. That and he was supposed to be on I think once, but they loved him so much they, they kept just, bringing him back. Yeah, and he was on yeah. uh, like just about every episode. He was there for the reunion too, and didn't tell anybody that he was sick. The lead singer for the '60s hit group Jay and the Americans has died. His name was Jay Black, and I'm only laughing because I don't know if you'll know any of the songs, but no, you'll know this magic moment. Yes, I do know yes. that. Well, that would be him, Jay Black. Really? So, yeah, they had a bunch of "Come a Little Bit Closer," "Blockbusters," "Caramia," and "Walking in the Rain." So, okay. rest in peace to Jay Black, Peter Scolari. Yes, famously co-starred alongside. Tom Hanks and Bosom Buddies. That's right, and the sitcom Bosom Buddies. Bosom Not Buddies. Bosom. Bosom Buddies. Bosom. Bosom Bodies now? Bosom Buddies. He following an extended cancer battle, he passed away. The reps announced he died early Friday. He'd been diagnosed with cancer two years ago, but... Super popular amongst show business people. 66 years old, Bosom Buddies, Newhart, 
the Newhart he remake TV Newhart. show. Yep, that's right. He uh, he actually won an Emmy. I think he's an Emmy Award winner for the show Girls on yes. HBO. Played Lena Dunham's dad, yeah. and I think I've seen him naked. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty You've sure. You've seen Peter Scolari naked? I'm pretty sure he was naked on an episode where he was like mm. passed out in the bathroom. But did you ever see Bosom Buddies, or is that too? Yeah, with Billy Joel's theme at the beginning. And yeah, that. but do you remember the show? Do you of remember course. what the show was about? I remember the premise. Yeah. Yeah. What was the premise? It was an wasn't it like an all girls school, and they had to dress up like all girls apartment building in New York. It was the only thing that they could afford. Oh, it was an apartment building. So okay. they decided to to, to just, pretend like they were girls to try to get get housing in New York. Super believable. And then and then they befriended Donna Dixon. Do you remember Donna Dixon? Yes. Who she was married in real life oh. to. I wish Come I knew on. This. I wish I knew this. Come on. Donna Dixon. I Do you remember know. who Donna Dixon was? Yeah. The blonde haired yeah, I can picture woman in, uh, very pretty blonde haired woman in uh, Bosom Buddies. Who was she married to? Dan Aykroyd. She might still be married to Dan Aykroyd for all I know. Really? Yeah. I see. That's something I might I be know. making that up, but I don't think I am. <laughs> I think you dreamt that last no, night. No, I don't but, think so. But I, I loved reading that, that Tom and Peter stayed friends throughout their whole lives. Because Tom obviously skyrocketed to be yeah. A-lister. And yeah. So he didn't that just... must have been difficult for Peter Scolari to watch. It's, yeah, it's, it's Pete Best, you know, from yeah. the Beatles. And, yeah. and, you know, is so that yeah. it for the RIPs? Um, I think that is it, yeah. I got a kick out of this story before you finish us off. I got a kick out of this story. You came in here to a show in the last probably six months, and you told me about Gene Simmons. Yeah. Selling his California, his Beverly Hills, California sure. home and deciding to move to Vegas. Do you remember bringing that in here? Of course. He decided to buy a big estate in Vegas and get out of California. He wanted to go to Vegas. He got his whole family. He's married to Shannon the lovely Tweed, Shannon yes. Tweed. And I've got news for you. Okay. Gene Simmons has sold his house <laughs> in Vegas. I realize that's too damn hot here for makeup. It's exactly right. What? He says, my family, we decided we're not fans of 115 degree weather. Now, did they, uh, yeah. did anybody tell them about Vegas? Did they not know any, did they think that they were going like Denver, Colorado? Right. Where, where did they think that they were going? Have you never stopped in Las Vegas on tour at any point said, in your life? We realize that we're not fans of 115 degree weather, but here's the kicker. They bought the home in May. You came in on a show in May and told me they bought the home for eight, $8. Oh. 8.2 million. Yeah. They never moved into it, <laughs> and he's selling it for $15 million. Ugh. What's May? That's the fifth month of the year? Yeah. And what are we in? The tenth month? Five months later, <laughs> he wants just about double what he paid for the estate. That's why he's Gene Simmons. That's why he's rich. By the way, I, I, I love that his family, like, aren't his kids in their 20s? Why are they still living with mom and dad? Know. Like, I have a lot of questions. And how about does that. no one in that household know <laughs> that it gets pretty hot in Vegas in the sun, that it's the desert? How does no one yeah. know that? If only there was a way to look something like that up in life. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> May is when my father in law comes back to Seattle because the summers are just, that's like the worst time to be down there. Brutal. Oh, God. He'll probably get go. the 15 million there too. There you go. I wanted to update you on that. All right. Just, I have to give you this quick one. We were just talking about, of all people, Jeremy Piven. Sure. Remember we were talking about him? You had a story, I think, about him? Yeah, his father and my yeah, father right. went yeah. to high school together. <laughs> he gave you the And I approached him in Las Vegas, real close to <laughs> Gene Simmons' house. That's right, yes. And I asked him. I said, I got, you know, and he, yeah. Wasn't interested. Not only not interested, but kind of rude. Kind yeah. of a jerk. Yeah, yeah. he has that reputation in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Well, he had Too his bad. Los Angeles area home broken into earlier this week. and I confess. With these, I did it. 
Well, when you find out what they stole, I'm pretty sure it wasn't, wasn't you me? or okay. I. Okay. It sounds like he's got pretty expensive taste, just like his fictional character, Ari Gold, because the burglars made off with $20,000 worth of clothes. I'm thinking to myself. Clothes? Every article. I don't want his clothes. That's why it's not you. You and I are off the hook. We have an alibi. <laughs> Take a look at it. <laughs> Every piece of clothing I've bought in my entire life doesn't add up to $20,000, and he had that just sitting in his house. So oh, anyway, I hope he gets it back, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know much about Jeremy Piven. All right, one last one. You ready? Yeah. United Kingdom nurse took the National Health Service, the government-run health care system there, yeah. to court alleging she was hypnotized and forced to go through several medical experiments, causing her to fart against her will. Oh, jeez. Can you remember that Isabella's listening to this? Yeah, I wish I would have known earlier. The the nurse, Zandra Sampson. I'll call you next time. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, She was employed at Ealing Hospital in London, where, according to her claims, medical staff, along with her, were hypnotized through poor heating and ventilation, reported the newspaper. She claims, however, that that her claims were found untrue by an employment tribunal where she's filed her case after being fired from the hospital in December. They, they okay. wanted her to get psychiatric help, and she refused. She said, I'm healthy okay. in the mind, and I'm healthy I'm physically. <laughs> I got the belt. Go ahead. You, you got what's going Just on here? Just go ahead. A labor judge ruled the trust did not discriminate against Ms. Sampson because she then sued for discrimination. Go ahead, hotshot. Man, that is some lawsuit. Talk about pulling one out of your ass. Turns out this lady's becoming a real inspiration. I've actually started using that excuse around the house, too. <laughs> I'm no expert, but is there a chance that eating hospital food every day is the real culprit for the unwanted gas? I mean, come on. And finally, you know, I'm actually curious what one would say to hypnotize someone to fart. You're getting very seepy. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. Sorry, Isabella. Those were as bad as the Seahawks <laughs> performance on Monday night. Uh, anything more to say? After that? What am I possibly going to say after that? Okay, we've got, uh, it's going to be kind of a squeezed into week because we're, we're obviously releasing this on a Tuesday. Yeah. So don't forget, we'll have five more shows for patrons this week. If you want to get access to all the shows and all the guests, the shorter shows that we do the remainder of the week, go to MitchUnfiltered.com and become a patron. And if, again, you're not in a place to be spending $5 on a podcast, just uh, write me at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I'll take care of you. Okay? Mitch on uh, YouTube channel as well. Oh, the Mitch Unfiltered. YouTube channel, which you say you own. I thought maybe I registered that at one point, so I don't. We'll have to sort this out later. What does that mean? You registered it? Well, I took. Mitch Did you go down to the courthouse and and file paperwork? What would you do? Maybe I was hypnotized and I did it when I was. I didn't know what I was doing. In the in between farts. That's exactly right. Yes. Okay. We'll have to sync on that later. I guess I don't know. Anyway, apparently it's there. So go visit the Mitch Unfiltered. YouTube channel for some video of the podcast. All right, that's it. Episode 164. Are they really two and five? 164 is in the books.